0: Can you explain why a movie does not make business sense?
1: It's such an interesting question and an interesting model when you talk about the the, the movie industry and the film industry, and it it's. It, the reason it's interesting is because Hollywood's always existed in this bubble because uh, it was always so difficult to be able to create entertainment and the technology wasn't democratized so no, not a lot of people could make entertainment and so uh, it, it whenever entertainment was made especially a film whenever a film was made it was a very special rare thing and, and a lot of that defied the uh, the rules of economics in, the, in in the rest of the world now it seems that in a, in a commoditized market and there's so much content that when you look at just the business of filmmaking it uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people and if you out if you go out and talk to a lot of investors and the investors a lot of times will tell you most times they'll tell you that the economics of the industry just doesn't make sense for them where you, you you put up you put a lot of money in especially say like a uh, independent film uh, uh, independent film venture you put a lot of money in up front uh, you you don't see any return for a long time uh, there's no sort of incubation model that you see out of silicon valley or or even just a, a startup business uh, it it's it's a big crazy roll of the dice you put a lot of money in and you just hope and pray that a bunch of people show up on the same weekend, and if they show up on the first two weekends at least, uh, you, maybe you get your money back. But if you if they don't, then you lose it all, uh, and it, it, it's a, it's just a high risk um, it's a high risk venture, especially in a commoditized market where there's this hyper competition. And so it's uh, it, it, you know if you look at even other aspects, I mean you, you think of other aspects, of the way normal business is done, typically the cost of the cost of production. Will drive the retail cost of a, of a of a product for example and so if if you can make a Toyota for $10,000 then you can of, of hard cost manufacturing you could sell it for I don't know $22,000 and there you have a margin in there uh, to make your money but if it if it costs $90,000 to make a Maserati then then you have to sell it for $200,000 in order to have your margin you can't sell it for $20,000 or else you're going to lose money. What, uh, and, and that just makes sense right of course that's the way that's the way the world works but when uh, in filmmaking I could make a five thousand dollar paranormal activity and you could make a 300 million dollar avengers movie and someone still goes pays the same 12 dollars at the movie theater for the product and that makes sense to us in the Hollywood bubble but for the rest of the world that doesn't make a lot of sense and so so now you're starting to see uh, you're starting to see a lot of conversation around the variable pricing and maybe blockbusters should be $50 movie tickets and paranormal activity or indie films should be $2 tickets and maybe we should scale ticket prices to the cost of production uh, trying to pull it more in line with the way normal business works and so uh, it's you know really when it when it just comes down to it especially if you don't have any pre-awareness of the market the venture to most people is just very very risky when you especially when you add in the uh, the cost of p a and uh, you know how much you have to saturate the market with with marketing just to get people there it takes the break even in a really crazy way I think Steven Soderbergh said a couple years ago that he he predicted the 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 death of the independent film market within five to ten years because the cost of p was going through the roof at this in this tremendous uh, in this and it's just tremendous rate. So he said when he's when you know 15 years ago uh, you would spend three million dollars to make a independent film and then you would put an equal amount in to for P&A with the 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 distributor would you put an equal amount in for for the P&A and then ultimately you work out your break even from that right so uh, uh, so usually if you put three million dollars production three million dollars P&A what happens is you have to recoup uh, 50 you recoup 50 cents on the dollar for the pna and so you actually have to make six million dollars to to make back the three million dollars of the pna uh, because you split it the the distributors splits it with the exhibitors right so uh so that's how it would work out but now steven soderbergh says especially with independent films everything's so competitive and they're so oversaturated and, and the market is so commoditized that he says you if you want to be a blip on the radar you have to spend at least 35 million dollars of domestic pna 35 million dollars of international pna just so people know that you're out there because there's so much stuff hitting the market all the time so uh, so let's take a 5 million dollar movie for example if you make a movie for 5 million dollars and then you spend 35 million dollars domestic pna 35 million dollars of international pna that's 70 million dollars of pna which means you have to make $140 million to pay back to recoup that, right? Because you have to split every dollar with the exhibitor and you recoup 50 cents of the dollar. So you have to make $140 million plus the $5 million production budget, which means it's $145 million break even on a $5 million movie. Why does that matter? This is why it matters. Independent filmmakers require uh, and rely on going to investors and saying, will you give me your money so that I can make my movie? And so just imagine the conversation of going to uh, an investor and saying, I need you to give me $5 million of your money so I can make my movie. And all we need to do is make $145 million at the box office and you get all your money, you get all your money back. Does that make sense at all? It, it really doesn't. It doesn't to most people. Now, some people have a, you know, they have an appetite for risk and and, and they, you know, and, and they want their granddaughter to be able to star in, 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 in a movie, and so they don't care to fund it and, and they do it for other reasons, vanity projects, things like that. But more and more investors now today, it's like that just doesn't make sense. That's why studios love to do a hundred million dollar movies. This is where we've seen the death of the $20 million film, I think, is is because think about a like a 100 million dollar movie put a 100 million dollar production budget with a 100 million dollars domestic a 100 million dollars of international pna that's 200 million dollars of pna you recoup that 50 cents on the dollar which means you have to make 400 million dollars back plus the 100 dollar uh, 100 million dollar production budget that's a 500 million dollar break even on a 100 million dollar movie so how many 100 million dollar movies make 500 million dollars as opposed to a 20 million dollar movie making 250 million dollars right it, it, it now all of a sudden the 100 million dollar movie makes maybe more economic sense than the 20 million dollar movie because the p and is thrown it all out of whack right so uh, so you know as filmmakers we look at films through through the lens of of the art and the the films of the, uh, the, the through the lens of the story and what we want to achieve and what we want to say culturally but we failed to put ourselves in the seat of the the investor and we and and this is something that I've learned I had to I'm not a a naturally inclined business person Uh, you know some people are super entrepreneurial and they get their MBA and things like that but I'm not a. am not a a natural business person but the more I was I I was talking with investors the more they would and and the more they would tell me no that the I would say why doesn't it make sense to you and they would explain why this doesn't make sense and and when I look at it from the uh, investors point of view then I'm like wow yeah that is kind of crazy and that's why we're seeing independent film investment dry up more and more because just the economics of the business model just doesn't compute with the people that have to fund the whole thing and so you have to understand that they're coming from it usually by and large investors independent film investors aren't filmmakers they're business people right they're and they've they've made their money in other other sectors right so they're looking at at everything through a completely different frame than the filmmaker by and large and uh, I think the more filmmakers can get in tune with the economics surrounding a film and figure out how to reorient the economics of the venture to match the economics of a of a consumer brand venture or a regular like a silicon valley startup figure out how do we how do we start to have the film venture look like one of those other things and uh, I think if we do that then we're going to see maybe an uptick in the in the amount of investment that now goes in to independent films which would be great for everybody right but it's just going to take a paradigm shift movies aren't as special as they used to be. Uh, because there's so many of them and so uh, we can't just rely on movies being as magical in the eyes of investors before we can't dazzle them with a movie I don't think as much now we have to we have to make sense to them and and we have to be empathetic to to the seat that they sit in
0: is the film industry the only industry where to graph out what you talked about and and really go down line by line it doesn't make business sense or are there other industries where that's very similar
1: well I think when when you look at what you typically look for is the difference between a commoditized business and a non-commoditized business and and these are big 10 dollar words but you know the difference is uh, you know commoditization is where it it, it is is a term where you're in a market where where you're no longer unique and uh, because there's so much competition there's there's uh, you know hyper uh, competition and oversaturation that has flooded the market Most businesses operate in commoditized markets, uh, but businesses that operate outside of commoditized markets, by and large, can set their own rules and they can defy those odds because what they're doing is so special and so unique, they kind of get a pass uh, because they're, you know, they're creating something that hardly anybody else is creating until other people start duplicating that and they become commoditized as well and there was a time when when the smartphone was not commoditized and so all of a sudden you know uh, Apple and Steve Jobs they they could sort of set the rules of the game of the economics of the smartphone uh, and it was up to them not the market forces but what, what now I think is smartphones have become commoditized in such a way that you know that uh, uh, it, it, that it's, j- it's a different market than it was you know 10 15 years ago or 12 years ago however long smartphones have been out right so uh, so so I think you know when you're when you're looking for the the businesses that operate outside of a normal paradigm you're, you're looking for the businesses that 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 are just super unique that uh, that don't have a lot of competition and when you don't have a lot of competition you're in, you know I'm from Kentucky and they, and they and they call that being in the catbird seat It's you're in an advantageous situation um, and, and and entertainment used to be that and, and filmmaking used to be that because it was always too hard, too expensive, too difficult uh to be able to make a movie. We we didn't have access to the camera technology and to the, the post-production technology. We didn't have access, you know, we had to shoot on film and f- film's super expensive. We didn't have the digital technology and we definitely didn't have distribution. I mean, the, the 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 big the biggest shift I think for for filmmakers, you know, in in you know, since the invention of 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 the of the the of the talkie is uh the 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 internet being a distribution uh, uh, mechanism and because now the 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 ability to create and the ability to to distribute has been democratized to the filmmaker Uh, but always before people didn't have the technology to create and even if you figured out how to create you didn't know what to do with it because you couldn't distribute and so that 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 uh, that was that was a that was tough and so the only people that could create movies were you know Five or six companies in the entire world that had the the technology and had the infrastructure for distribution that could do that so anytime a movie would hit it would it would be super special and it would it would be an event and it would be because we just didn't have a lot of them coming out I mean think about think about I remember when I was a kid uh, E.T. was in the movie theater for over a year I believe all is around a year right just in the theater the theatrical run now you know uh, uh, Star Wars was in there I think 44 weeks uh, the original Star Wars movie you look at something like uh, even Back to the Future had like a 35-week run in movie theaters now you look at Avengers Endgame which before the re-release of Avatar was objectively the, the the most successful film of all time Avengers Endgame that was in movie theaters for what three months and then it was pushed out there's too much stuff being being pushed into the system right there's too much stuff in the pipeline i mean there's 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 uh you, you talk to showrunners they say 15 years ago there were seven places that you could sell a one hour drama now there's 75 places you can sell a one hour drama right everybody's everybody's making stuff because the technology's become democratized and so so it's it's we the entertainment industry has shifted from a non-commoditized very special magical like dazzling glittery thing into the same bucket as smartphones and potato chips and coffee shops and you know everything else that that is commoditized Which is now forcing filmmakers and executives and studios and 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 everybody that makes this stuff now we have to relearn and uh, uh, what are the what are the rules of the game what are the economics of the game how do we how do we shift this to better compete in in a commoditized market it's uh, I I'm completely convinced that the shift into a commoditized market is I think for for fans It's the best thing that's ever happened because we got as much content as we could we have more content than we could ever consume more movies we could ever watch more tv shows that we could ever watch more books we could ever read more games we could ever play more songs we could ever listen to we can't watch everything on YouTube we can't like there's more TikTok videos than any one person could ever consume ever which is great for fans but the commoditized market I think is the single biggest obstacle facing filmmakers today. The the, the, the the obstacle of access and creation has been solved right because we got cameras we we have we have we have you know if you've seen the 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 uh, the, uh, the new iPhone the iPhone 13 that 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 they announced like the camera technology in that is absolutely amazing Right, and even the iPhone twelve, absolutely amazing what you can do with the camera technology with that. Right, uh, but even then, beyond just the phones, I mean, you can go get a, a red camera, a red Epic for you know for a few thousand dollars. Uh, you know, and you can rent a lens, you know, for for you know several hundred dollars over the weekend, and you're able to do that. You didn't used to be able to do that. Now you can, and so uh, so so that has been solved. Uh, access and creation has been solved i think for 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 uh filmmakers distribution has been solved for filmmakers we know now how to get our stuff to audiences we know how to get it in front of people we know how to build community we go direct to consumer in about 35 different platforms right in addition to the sort of the, the other traditional f- platforms of you know selling to the the studios but even if you want to go direct to consumer we have the ability to do that the fact that I can I can shoot a video right now and uh, uh, hit a few buttons and upload it to YouTube and instantly it's in you know six billion people's pockets is 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 insane and crazy and awesome and exciting. So access has been solved, distribution has been solved, but now we've traded those problems in for a new problem, which is how do we survive in a commoditized market? How do we out punch 3 million other things that are all competing against each other somebody said to me recently they, they said making a movie today is is like being a needle in a haystack because you just release it and there's so much other stuff I don't actually think it's being a needle in a haystack I think releasing a movie in today's market is like being a needle in a needle stack if you're in an, if you if you're in a needle in a haystack at least you're unique but now when you release your horror movie into the market that's awesome that's such an amazing achievement right but a thousand other people are releasing their horror movie at the same time and you're no longer unique and now you have all this crazy competition and now you have to figure out how to outpunch your way not you know outpunch your way from the from the the glut of horror movies but also all the other movies and all the other television shows and all the other books and then don't even get me started about the TikTok videos and Fortnite and things like that 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 pull everybody's competition or it pulls everybody's eyeballs right and which would create this hyper competition between all platforms right so it's 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 that it's that obstacle of a commoditized market that I think needs to be the focus of filmmakers as we go out of 2021 into 2022 and beyond we need to figure out again how to obviously you need to make a good movie and and and, and you need to tell a great story you need to have rich characters all that all the craft stuff still applies I'm not talking about that but now we have to shift the paradigm of our minds and say what kind of model and business model and IP model can I launch that is not going to survive 1997 paramount pictures hollywood because 1997 was great but it was a long time ago and we don't live in that market anymore today's market is a commoditized market and I need my plan and my model and my approach to survive that and that's a completely different conversation
0: what is the business model for filmmakers today
1: it's a complicated question because the question could be What should be the 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 business model for filmmakers today? But but what is the 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 model for filmmakers today? I think still sits wholly in that traditional model of you know I got to go to the studio and I got to you know uh, you know uh, uh, option my option my script and go through the development process and you know and and go through that whole thing. There's the whole traditional side of the business that's still moving along, Uh, but now on the outside of the studio system then you're uh, you're looking at a a different business model that is is more IP focused and I think if you if you really study the market and understand the way the market works it's about how do you launch and grow IP And, uh, and 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 this is this is not a new concept because we've known for decades that everything that we see in tv is always based on a book and you know, it, even the the stuff that we know is the most original. We think is the most original stuff we've ever we've ever uh, uh, you know considered. And, and we we love the originality of this limited series or this interesting film. Ninety eight percent of the time, you trace it back, and it's based on a book. And the reason it's based on a book isn't because Hollywood's in love with books. It's because they love the pre awareness that the books bring. They love the community that's already built uh, uh, for the book, and it skews the risk analysis into the favor of the filmmaker when they say hey let's let's take this book and let's make it a movie it's just a lower risk investment and so uh, so so ip creation and establishing ip in the market is has has always been a thing and but now in the with the proliferation of other platforms and the the, the democratization of other platforms where normal people can have access to these other platforms such as podcast and uh, webtoon and uh, what short stories and wattpad uh, uh, comic books things like that uh, now the business model uh, for creators is how to take their ip and attack the market in whatever platform they can so that they could establish a market presence grow the community of that around that IP actually get fans and then once they have fans, then maybe down the road, they go and shop this thing for, for film and television. Uh, because when you do that, you can actually have a conversation, uh, because you, you have something established in the market and you have fans and you've established pre-awareness. And I think pre-awareness is, 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 is vital in, in today's market because of the high-risk economics of, of filmmaking because of the p budgets because the budget the the, the production budgets are, are are just increasing so much I mean you look at you look at uh, the Lord of the Rings series on Amazon they spent 250 million dollars just for the rights and then they spent 450 million dollars in production for one season of TV and so they're spending three quarters of a billion dollars on a season of television and so they're not going to do that with something that hasn't been established in the market the only reason they're comfortable with uh, with spending three quarters of a billion dollars is because Lord of the Rings is an established IP in the market and that and and there's a legion of Tolkien fans and and they've tested the the preview the Hobbit movies and Lord of the Rings movies and, and and it's been around for a zillion years and all of a sudden it skews the risk analysis into the favor of of the studio. They say I think we can do it. I mean you look at the, the Foundation series that's coming out on on, on uh, Apple that Apple's releasing and uh, you know, that 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 was a series of books that's been around forever uh, and and a lot of people maybe won't know that and think oh this is just original filmmaking no it's established IP in the market but but used to you could only you know the only way you could do that is through a book but now like I said you can you can do that in a variety of different ways and so one of the most option things in Hollywood right now are podcasts podcasts are, are wildly popular as far as being optioned and you look at uh, what Amazon did with homecoming uh, not Beyonce homecoming but the other homecoming with Julia Roberts uh, the uh, the the drama series and that was a podcast you look at something like night fail that was a podcast you look at what HBO max uh, they uh, they greenlit the calm app tv show I don't know if anybody you're familiar with the calm app the calm app has been a top 10 app In the app store for the last 10 years a meditation app it's just a meditation app for that promotes uh that promotes mental health and keep and makes you calm and helps you meditate and hbo max just greenlit a tv show based on the app which makes no sense other than there's a brand there and there's a community there and there's pre-awareness in the market. They'll hire a writer and they'll hire producers and they'll hire talent that'll make it work. But what they were looking for is, is there the pre-awareness in the market? And you see something with Angry Birds. Angry Birds launched into the market, not as the animated films launched into the market as a mobile game. And so I think that is the new business model for creators is how do I how do I not wait for netflix or amazon or universal pictures or disney to to give me permission to make my dreams come true I don't I don't want to wait for netflix to give me permission to tell the story that's in my heart It, it 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 you'll be waiting forever right and, and 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 you'll be deceived by the fact that there are some people that Netflix does come and make their dreams come true and they give them the big giant check but but for every one person that's waiting for that that it actually works for you know there's there's you know a hundred thousand people hundred thousand filmmakers that that never get that break and it's not because they're less talented it's just because it's a it's a hard industry and it's competitive and there's a lot of super talented people out there and it's tough to be able and and, and the line around Netflix is you know 10 blocks long figuratively speaking uh, with people that want to get in Netflix right so so it's it you know people are waiting for these studios to give them permission to to follow their heart and tell their story when I say that's that's cool but don't wait or at least while you're waiting attack the market while you're waiting launch your ip in the 10 or 15 or 20 ways that we have at your fingertips at all time that you can do for very little or zero money like, like you know a podcast you can you can take you can take your iphone and you can download anchor and anchor is is a free app on the app store that will allow you to hold up the phone to your ear and it records your podcast in just into the phone. And then it distrib- And you can put bumper music and you can edit it. And then it distributes it into the, the Apple Podcast Store and it puts it on Spotify all completely for free. And then you can use the, di- the distribution platforms and social media and things like that to, to, to get it in front of people, start building your audience. And you can actually tell the story that you wanna tell while you're waiting on Netflix. But the trick is then, if you actually grow the community of people that that love your podcast love your story uh and and you know are engaging with your brand you've increased your chances from hearing from Netflix because you've actually created pre-awareness the market right and you you accelerate I mean I there was there was a there was an IP that I had uh uh, we 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 sold it we sold to Fox it languished in development went to the turnaround we got it back and uh it, it, we had played that game for seven years trying to shop it finally got it shopped went into the turnaround got it back seven years and I thought what would have happened if I would, we would have been running a podcast the entire time what would have been what would have happened if I would, we would have had comic books in the market and released self-published novels into into the market uh, we, we wouldn't when it goes in the turnaround we wouldn't be at zero again we would have had fans and we would have had a, a brand and we would have had IP. The film and television wouldn't have worked the way we wanted it to work and then we'd have to kind of reorganize that but at least we would have done some other things and attack the market in a way and, and not just wait for a giant studio to give me a giant Ed McMahon check and say, I give you permission to tell the story that you've always wanted to tell. And it's uh, so, so I'm very, very bullish on encouraging filmmakers don't wait launch 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 use all the stuff that we have all the tools in the toolbox to launch the IP if you know if you know uh, Uh, people that can produce music work with them to maybe tell a story through a song and launch that Uh, if you know how to write a short story launch you know launch that if you know how to do a podcast do it that way uh do a webtoon do you know do do something and uh one it it helps you not be frustrated as you wait to hear back from an agent and sending out query letters and the whole game that we all know which is I'm not saying that's bad I'm saying okay let's do that but while we do that let's do some other things so you're not just sitting around waiting to hear back from people you're actually doing something right which l- keeps you it just keeps you happy as a storyteller to be able to tell your stories I mean I you know, personally I found myself years ago as a writer the thing the things that I wrote most were pitch decks I found myself writing more pitch decks than I were than I, than I did scripts, and that was disconcerting to me, right? Because that's sort of the, what you kind of fall into in Hollywood is this crazy game of just trying to like hustle something, and 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 you're doing a lot less creating and just a lot more pitching, right? And so, uh, so you know, it, there, there's there's a I think there's an artistic and a soulful benefit to launching IP in the market. Just sat, it satisfies you as you wait for the, the, the big guys to come and make your dreams come true. But then there's also a legal benefit to it, and so you know I consider myself a recovering lawyer. I started my career as a lawyer uh, uh, and almost completely recovered as a lawyer. But from a legal perspective, if if you can establish an IP in the market, there's a lot greater chance of you getting a better deal on the back end if and when the studio comes and wants to participate into in, a feature film. If you just write a spec script. And you go and like like you know like filmmakers do and like writers do and and you go sell that spec script and it's not based on any pre-existing IP that is it's just an original idea and you sell you sell on spec say you get on the blacklist and 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 they snatch it off the blacklist and they, they 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 give you a deal that's awesome it's 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 by and large a wholesale acquisition it's we're taking the whole bucket of rights and we'll give you a check that's a high five handoff. That you know, you you go off and you know we'll take this and we'll go and make this movie. But they have all the rights to every platform ever created and here forever too will be created until the end of time. There's all those big lawyerly clauses in there. They own everything, right? They take the whole deal. Theoretically, they give you a, a check to, to make you feel better about that, right? Which sometimes it, that makes you feel better. Other times it doesn't. Um, but if you say publish a book self-publish a, a book and and and, uh, and and that book sells and you're able to then get that to be turned into a movie the deal that is then done is a different deal it's then you have uh, what's called a split rights deal where they come and license the right to adapt the book into a movie right so they take the film and television rights Right? but it's a license deal for the film and television rights and you maintain your other IP rights video game comic books merchant you know things like other things that you want to create right and uh, which is much better in success of the movie right or the or the TV show or whatever they do then all these other rights become more valuable and you've retained them simply because you were able to establish the IP in the market and you didn't you didn't go to the studios first right so so even if you don't want to talk about the uh, the, the uh, sort of the creative benefits of attacking the market and being aggressive with the IP and not waiting right and being passive as as your fake lawyer as for yeah, that that I would give you this this legal advice never just sell a spectre to a studio it's crazy. Just publish it, self-publish it as a book first. Now, ten years ago, before you could really self-publish, or there wasn't really podcast, and there weren't really these other things, then what? What are you supposed to do? The only thing you could do is is just sell it directly to a studio because not a lot, not a lot of other uh, other options, right? Now there are so many options; it's um, it it makes it just doesn't make a lot of sense to be able to go to them first. You're just you're just you're. um, misappropriating and and losing sight of the the broader opportunity of your IP so so I think the new business model for creators is a business model to attack the market with IP attack the market with IP and when you when you generate the pre-awareness of the community it's going to create residual benefits that is that are not only going to make you more attractive to the studios but it's actually going to help you retain and control more of the IP moving forward.
0: And from what I understand about this new Netflix series Made yeah. with Margaret Qualley, um, it, it, it started as um, an article. Mm-hmm. A woman who was in a homeless shelter with her child, she was cleaning houses and she kind of wrote this thing about, hey, what people don't know about what I know about you from cleaning your house. Sure. And that took off and then she did this book. Yeah. And then and now and now we have this, this show coming up. And sure. I'm looking forward to seeing it. And again, that was someone that was always wanted to be a writer had a lot of tragic things happen and decided to hunker down and sort of make the best of it and look at now it's sure you know that that's a rags to riches story right there
1: and, it, and if she would have just written that as a spec script and then just started shopping that around I think we, we would well we wouldn't be having this conversation today because because it, it would have gotten it would be languishing in the crazy game that is the spec world of Hollywood. Right, she she was able to take this and then launch it in a different way. Let's write the article. Let's let's do it. Let's, let's launch it in a different form. Let's then publish the book. Let's let's do it as a blog. Let's do something else. Right, and and then we we grow awareness. We grow the pre-awareness. We we we've we've actually established the IP in the market. And then guess what? Especially when it becomes popular, then uh then then, then the studios want to get involved. And that deal and I'm not privy to the, the, the specifics of the deal but, but I would guarantee that that deal that was made for that particular, uh, that particular IP is a better deal than she would have got if she would have written the spec script and tried to sell that spec script first. I don't think she would have sold the spec script to begin with but in the event that she would have it would have been a worse deal than what she got now simply because she was able to establish it in the market. Right? But see, see, this is the interesting thing. It's it's a paradigm shift with with, with filmmakers. Typically, filmmakers uh, and, and 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 screenwriters and listen, I'm, I, I include myself in this umbrella. So it, we 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 want to focus on filmmaking and screenwriting, and 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 we feel like if I just write my five pages a day, everything's going to work. And I don't want to learn how to do a podcast. Like that's not me. I don't want to learn how to make a website. I don't want to I don't want to uh, uh, you know write short stories. I'm a screenwriter right and 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 I wish I wish that person would have been born in 1978 and then you know, was able to be able to operate in you know, late 80s 90s Hollywood because uh, because it was just as a different market and you could kind of you know, specialize like that um, but uh, but but it's just it's a different market and and there's this this uh, there's this hesitancy for lack of a better word if if I say that euphemistically there's this hesitancy to broaden your scope of creative to be able to launch an ip in the market you feel like you're you're doing something that's less than screenwriting you're lowering yourself to do a short story you're lowering yourself to do a podcast there's this this you know this this artistic judgment and you feel like you, you and maybe you just judge yourself of, of like man that this means that I'm if I was good enough I'd be able to sell this thing right and, and you judge yourself for it and, and and you shouldn't judge yourself for that you, you it's it's it, there's too much stuff out there and it's way too competitive and uh, I think if 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 creators and filmmakers and screenwriters if they had the mind of a of an entrepreneur who's who's launching a consumer brand you're going to you're gonna you're gonna approach this whole thing differently, because you talk to any entrepreneur that that says I'm gonna start a pizza shop, right? Uh, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna open the pizza shop and, and and it's gonna be great because I have this family recipe of pizza I've been working on. Uh, like they are forced to learn a hundred new skills in order to launch that pizza shop, right? You never hear somebody say. Uh, I want to launch my pizza shop with my family recipe uh, of, of pizza and I'm only going to focus on making the pizza. I'm not going to learn how to do payroll. I'm not going to learn how to hire front of house, back house, I'm not going to learn how to order, I'm not going to learn about management, I'm not going to learn how to do the register, I'm not going to learn about anything else other than pizza and that's it. I'm just going to focus on my pizza and as long as I make good pizza, everything will fall into place odds are that pizza shop will never open right because of course entrepreneurs know i want to do a pizza shop i know how to make a good pizza okay i still have to learn how to run the register and i still have to learn how to market the right way and i still have to learn how to you know how 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 to manage my staff and i still have to learn how to order all the food from the wholesalers and things like that you you it, it you're forced into Figuring out five or six new things that you've never figured out before, and that's just part of being an entrepreneur. And every entrepreneur will tell you that, like you have to, you're forced to learn a hundred new things. What are those ten new things that we need to learn as screenwriters and filmmakers? What are the twenty new things that 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 we can learn uh, as creators that can help us launch the IP? And and here's the good part. Here's the here's the punchline that I think is the greatest punchline of all time. It's all there on the internet for free YouTube is the greatest educational uh, platform in the history of mankind if I want to figure out how to change a 1987 Volvo station wagons carburetor there's probably a YouTube video that's going to walk me through it Uh, we can go to go to YouTube go to Google and say how do I how do I create a podcast? And there's 17 articles instantly, or 17 videos that pop up. You can go to LinkedIn Learning, and and uh, uh, or or you can go to you know you know, whatever like a resource that you want to use, and you can take the seven to ten to 27 hours to figure it out. And none of that. You can connect with people that know how to do it. I had a buddy who he won the Nichols Fellowship as a screenwriter, right? Which is a big deal. Nichols is is, is a very competitive um, uh, screenwriting competition. He won the Nichols Fellowship. He he pitched a movie to Paramount Pictures as a result of winning the the the, the Nichols Fellowship. He pitched the script to Paramount. Paramount said uh, it was too risky because it wasn't established in the marketplace, and they said we want you to go and create a comic book and launch it as a comic book. And if you sell 10,000 copies of that comic book, come back to us and we'll make your movie. So he walked out of that meeting, super bummed, not just because they didn't want to make the movie, but they said, make a comic book. And guess what? He was a screenwriter. He didn't know how to make a comic book, right? Which if this was 1992, that would have been a big bummer. But because it was 2017, he was able to go home, open up the laptop, Google, how do I make a comic book? And he started reading. And he started finding out where the artists hung out online and the artist communities and art station and deviant art and things like that. He he's he learned the production workflow, the cost of making a comic book, how they were distributed. He just started researching and he connected with an artist. Uh, in it like Estonia or some Euro- Eastern European country that 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 he uh, they decided to collaborate on something. they they scraped and put uh, one issue of a comic book together it took a months. they put an issue of one issue of a comic together and they they distributed it digitally on Amazon and uh, made enough money from it to make an issue too. And then they made enough money on it to make an issue three. And then they made enough money on it to make an issue four. And then after issue four, guess what happened? They got picked up by a small independent publisher that said, we'll pay for the publishing of it, right? So they did issue five. And then after issue five, they're putting it all together as a trade paperback, all five issues together. And now four years later, he's right on the verge of his 10,000 unit sale, right? And he says, Houston, guess what I'm going to do? I'm gonna go back to Paramount Pictures and tell them to make my movie because I have to hit the ten thousand dollars or the ten thousand sale mark, right? But guess what? I'm not gonna stop selling my comic book. Why? Because it's an extra source of revenue for me, and I have a community of fans that love this stuff, right? So why would I stop? And so now he self-identifies as not just a screenwriter, but he's a screenwriter slash comic book creator, right? He's you know there's there's this there's this uh, this term called polymath right? People that are good at multiple things and uh, we, we typically laud people in entertainment that can do more, right? Beyonce uh, can sing and she can dance and JLo can act and sing and dance and, and we always say all oh, these people are amazing. They're entrepreneurs and actors and singers and creators and you know, and we love that about people. We need to start looking at ourselves as that because we have the ability to do that and because all the tools are in front of us so I think that's the model that we have to hit is is being willing to have that mindset shift of I need to learn some more I need to broaden my own skill set right and but when I do it's going to open up a no, new world for me because I'm able to establish my IP, my IP in the market
0: why don't we see new ideas in Hollywood
1: I think it's because of risk I think when it, it, you look at the risk analysis of feature films or 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 television the the there's a hesitancy of taking a chance on a a new idea you you have to you have to think about Hollywood as not in a vacuum where you, there's all these middle managers in Hollywood, they're all executives, right? And uh, th- there's 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 a hundred people that that are all involved in everything in the decision of what to make and what not to make. Uh, and and by and large, people don't make those decisions based on what is the what's going to propel the industry forward creatively and what's going to be you know the, the, what what does the artistic integrity of the of the uh, industry need and like they're not asking those questions they're asking the questions of what can I do not to get fired from my job and uh, you know if it's a lot easier for these executives to to say no to something that could potentially be risky than to say Yes, to something that could be t- potentially risky and it not work out. And all of a sudden, they get the blame uh, because they took the risk. I mean, if, 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 I'm a, if, if I'm a studio executive and I have two scripts in front of me, and one is this really hip, interesting, progressive, edgy, you know, uh, 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 script that really pushes boundaries in a really interesting way, uh, does a lot of creative, uh, uh, edgy, interesting things. And then I have the reboot of the Brady Bunch. As a feature film, you know, uh starring Vince Vaughn as Greg Brady, which actually sounds sounds kind of good. But the uh but if I have that in front of me, and yeah, that's like solidly mediocre, right? Uh, but um, if I have those two things in front of me, the most artistically interesting choice the is the new idea. Let's let's promote new ideas, let's not go back to the well and the Brady bunch, right? Um, but 99 times out of 100 what's going to happen? It's going to be we're going to remake the Brady Bunch not because we think the Brady Bunch is going to be better or uh, one it has pre-awareness in the market right so it has a community of people that already know what the Brady Bunch is even if you don't haven't seen an episode of the Brady Bunch odds are people have heard of the Brady Bunch. And so there's this market awareness that, that shifts the risk and they, and they think it's a safer bet. And because it's the safer bet, they think if I push my chips in on the Brady Bunch and it gets made and it doesn't do as well as we think, I still be able to keep my job because I made the safe decision. But if I go all in on, on, on a completely original idea uh, that that is the more artistically interesting idea, and it doesn't work. Guess what? Who's on the chopping block? Me for making the bad call, right? And listen, it may not be my fault. Maybe other people's fault. But you know, everybody's kind of shifting the blame. Everybody wants to blame somebody, and 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 and, and especially on the executive level. You know, it, it, it's you could only lose fifty million dollars of somebody else's money so many times before they don't give you fifty million dollars to lose anymore, right? And so it's tough uh, that decision to green light or not to greenlight. But that's not made in a vacuum. They 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 sit there and say, how do I? You know, how do I keep my nice six-figure salary with my premium health insurance, and how do I keep my kids in private school, and how do I keep my wife not having to work and do the things that she likes to do, and how do I keep my house in my gated community, and how do I keep you know the the, the two cars that I have, and uh, like what are the decisions that can preserve that, and I'm going to do those because then if I do those long enough, eventually my boss will retire and maybe I get promoted and then and that becomes that game and listen I'm not even criticizing those people for doing that maybe I do that in the same if I'm in the same situation I have kids I got a house I got a wife I got dogs I got things right so and I don't want to get fired we need health insurance like there's all these other pressures that come in Uh, but but if, if you if you now if you now look at the entire industry as an industry that is motivated not on artistic integrity but how do I keep my job that really clues you in of of why we don't see a lot of new stuff that's why we see reboots that's and and listen largely reboots don't work we saw that with female ghostbusters we saw that with the new terminator movie we saw that you know we've seen that every now and then they work right Hawaii 5 worked I think uh, uh, there, You know, there, there's some that that uh, 21 Jump Street I think worked uh, actually the, the times you actually see it work I think is when you shift platform if, if, it, if it was originally a movie then they turn it into a TV show or originally a TV show and they turn it into a film that usually works more than film to film or show to show typically just as an anecdotal observation uh, but it's uh, uh, largely reboots don't work that well in the industry just look at the numbers so why do they do it it's because it's the safer bet but even though we know it's not a safe bet it looks like the safer bet so when people come to blame somebody I can say whoa no everybody knew the Brady Bunch it's not my fault it's, it's Vince Vaughn's fault it's the director's fault it's somebody else's fault but mine right so then I get to stay in my gated community I mean it's really interesting I mean the the, the executives I was I was talking to the uh, uh, with uh, the, the president of he had a really interesting comment he said you know executives they they live in the gated communities and then they leave their gated communities and drive through the gate into the lot and then work and then they drive back to their gated communities and never go east of Robertson right and they live in this weird little bubble that breeds a different mentality than you know uh, the, than the consumer, or the audience, or you know, when we're saying, why don't we have any more ideas? It's not our money on the line, right? It's easy to say there should be new ideas. We shouldn't make so many superhero movies. It's not our money. Like it's easy to it's easy to say that if you're not, if it's if it was your $50 million or 100 million million that you're actually putting on the line, maybe that conversation changes right because now you're like maybe I don't want to take the risk on the progressively interesting edgy psychological thriller that doesn't have any pre-awareness in the market maybe it will end up being one of the coolest most artistic films that we've seen in the last 10 years but we've all seen movies like that not be financial successes. This is when they this is how they turn into cult classics right and and we, we see movies and we're like how did that how did that not work why doesn't everybody see this and, there, and there's uh, there's a hundred reasons why a thousand reasons why great films aren't commercial successes and not being a commercial success doesn't not make you a great film artistically of course right uh, but when it's your money on the line it's a different story right and, and so and so you have to and, and when it's your job on the line. When you're spending somebody else's when it's your job to spend someone else's money which puts your job on the line the calculation changes right I think it's that's a you know I, I had a I had a situation where I, I pitched a I pitched a tv show to a to a studio and uh, they were looking for content for their their digital extension of their uh, of their network and they they told me what they were looking for I pitched this idea that the the, the uh, it was to a producer had a had a pod deal uh, with the network and he said this is perfect I love it this is exactly what we're looking for And I'm super excited because I think oh well this this deal's done this is great and he said what what book is this based off of and I said oh it's not based off a book it's an original idea and his whole body language changed he like slumped down and says oh yeah it needs to be based on a book and I and I said no it doesn't because you love it and you think it's perfect and it's exactly what you need so we're good right and he said no it needs to be based on a book so is it possible that we could find a book that already exists that is kind of like the idea we can option that book and then say this idea is based on that book and I said that's the, this is the stupidest conversation I've ever had with anybody in my whole life you said it's perfect you said it's exactly what you're looking for you love it What's the problem? And he said, Houston, I do love it. It is exactly what I'm looking for. It is exactly what we need. But the fact of the matter is I am not going to take something to my boss that's not based on a book because I don't want to put my job on the line for you. That's exactly what he told me. And I said, I appreciate your honesty. I really honestly did like appreciate like that insight. I got it. I expected this guy to go out on a, on a limb, stick his neck out, for an idea and an IP that that wasn't established in the marketplace didn't have any community built around it didn't have any market presence it was risky and I expected him to assume my risk which puts his job on the line and and he didn't he didn't feel comfortable with that because he wanted to he, he didn't care about the art I'm gonna say he didn't care about the art he didn't just care about the art I mean of course he wanted to make a good show Right, but there was other considerations that were very practical. He wanted to keep his job and we forget that. We, we, we forget that, that in the music industry, the A&R executives, you know, th- th- there's a lot of undiscovered talent that may be better than other people but, but all of a sudden, uh, I'm gonna sign the TikTok star that is much worse than this undiscovered talent because the TikTok star has 12 million people that follow the TikTok talk star on TikTok therefore if the TikTok star washes out it's not my fault because I took the safe bet rather than I go out and pluck the undiscovered dude from Iowa that doesn't have any following he washes out guess what it's on me because I took the risk I didn't I I, I took a risk and I lost and and so the calculation changes then this is why this is why uh, somebody like like Jake Paul Or Logan Paul, they they can go out and they can they can fight uh, uh, these 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 named boxers. They can go out and fight Floyd Mayweather. I mean, did Logan Paul fight Floyd Mayweather because he's the 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 best most deserving boxer in the world? No he did it he, like he was able to do that because it was a safe bet like he had pre-awareness in the market and then just made sense and so like it just you know that's just the the, the, the fact of the matter of it right like, like it's just Jake Paul can go and write a script and sell that script to a major studio faster than 99% of independent screenwriters in Hollywood right now that are 19,000 times more talented than Jake Paul. No offense to Jake Paul he may be a closet screenwriter I'm not sure I don't think he is but but you get what I'm saying is is is, it's not because he's better it's because he's safer And, and and the executives know that the executives know that and and they they don't think that Jake Paul will write better stuff but they think if they bet on Jake Paul rather than you If Jake Paul doesn't work they can keep their job so we always as creators as filmmakers we always have to understand the business of the business and understand the very human calculation that is going on in the executive level or the investment level or the people that are behind the desk it's not these decisions aren't made in a vacuum it's not just what's going to make the best movie unfortunately that's not the case anymore right maybe maybe it was back in 1977 maybe it was a different mentality that went into executives but today's executives it's a it's a high stakes high pressure environment and and there's there's real careers on the line there's real families that rely on real salaries and and we just think we just think well as long as our concepts right and as long as our three-act structure works and as long as our character development's right then if, if 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 I if I am able to execute the art the right way then then they should make my idea and uh, just it's just and, and then you get frustrated when they don't and then you see crappy movies that are released that are reboots and you're like oh where's the original ideas it's just a more complicated very human calculation that's going on that's different than the calculation you think is going on.
0: Well, and people are voting with their dollars someone's seeing it whether they're the ones that are also leaving a gated community to go into the gated you know parking lot at at the local cineplex someone's buying these tickets and so I I you know whether they whether they just are checking their phone the entire time or, or not and they're not really they're just going to appease their their kids or their friends it's is to not to be known right now, but but so someone is seeing these things. So sure, that's the hard part, and and the ones that these art house films or the these very unique edgy indie dramas, yeah. whatever. Um, unfortunately, the they're, they're, they're people aren't always voting with their dollars to show that they love that. So sure,
1: and and listen, and, and and you're right. The market decides. The market decides what it likes and what it doesn't like, and uh, yeah, and and that's the way normal business works that's the way the world works the market decides what works and what doesn't and we can't just sit back and make value judgments and say well my my movie was better than that well if the market has decided that it's not now artistically speaking you know that's maybe a different consideration this is this is the the difference between the Oscars and the people's choice awards or the just look in the box office like really i mean they they don't give out the oscars just based best picture could be what was the highest uh, achieving box office picture of the year they don't do that they look at they look at the art and, and there's artistic achievement that's the focus of the oscars but really the 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 re, the regular the, the regular audience member you know again I'm from Kentucky we I don't you know I'm not from the coast and uh, now that I've been on the coast for 15 years it, I realize just a, it's a different mentality when you're in Hollywood you, you know people seen all the Oscar movies and they've seen all the all the the streaming shows and all the deep cuts and they can you know but you go you go to middle America you go to Wyoming you go to Kentucky you go to Ohio you go to Georgia it's 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 there, you know people don't people don't know the directors they don't know the dps and they don't know you know all the the deep cut indie films and they haven't seen you know David Lynch's third movie he made out of film school and like they they like but but when you live in the bubble of Hollywood maybe New York right you convince yourself that everybody thinks this way and and you start making you start making stuff for people in the bubble right listen not saying that you just have to make you know so the quote-unquote studio crap you know the, the quote-unquote big commercial high concept film you don't have to make superheroes all the time there there are there is room for art but but I think ultimately you need to figure out how to marry art and commerciality that's the there, there's an intersection that can happen and when that happens that's that's magic I, I it, it 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 never never ceases to surprise me of how many filmmakers fight for the right to be a starving artist and uh, they, they, they they find pride in it and uh, I just I, I can never understand it I would much rather than be well-fed artist still be an artist but figure out how to operate in a commercial environment where the audience will vote with their dollars I feel like we have to find that intersection you know something like a quiet place was was I think a good example of that it was I thought it was a very well made interesting artistic very very different choice of of how to do a monster movie and very almost risky in a way but it had commercial sensibility and it worked and you look at something like Ted Lasso I think you know Ted Lasso I, I feel like is 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 a really interesting Commercial success that isn't Game of Thrones, right? Like, but at the same time, isn't The Office or like? I feel like this—it's an interesting—it's an interesting thing. If you look at what's going on in the Emmys, you know, uh, know, the the people that are cleaning up the Emmys—it was you know, The Crown and uh, the uh, uh, you know, Queen's Gambit, right? The Queen's Gambit was a huge commercial success, but at the same time, I think was a, a a wild artistic success as well. I feel like it fit that intersection, and I feel like that's what a lot of independent filmmakers struggle with uh is is finding that intersection uh but uh because they 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 you know they they need to they need to think outside the bubble um and listen ultimately you got you got to make what's in your heart and make what drives you and, and and sustains you right and so uh um but it's you know it becomes difficult when you're making stuff that that uh that the market doesn't bear right and if you're and if you're happy with that and you're fine with that muscle top, that's great but uh, but ultimately I th- feel like we need to figure out that intersection and if you can again it goes back to that pre-awareness conversation if you can figure out how to take that interesting super artistic you know edgy IP if that people don't want to touch because it's it's too risky if you're able to establish that in the market in three or four different ways or even one way like you establish it as a podcast and it pops as the podcast and, and now a hundred thousand people subscribe to that podcast. Guess what? It's the same edgy, progressive artistic character drama idea. But now all of a sudden, the studios are gonna now be more apt to take a, 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 a take a gamble on that original idea because you're able to establish it in the marketplace first, right? So I think you know that approach really, really benefits people that don't just want to make superhero movies or marvel movies or zombie movies or vampire movies or whatever you know the big genre flicks or whatever it is they want to do some different artistic interesting things even more these people have to embrace all the tools in the toolbox they have to figure out how to establish in the marketplace let's let's prove the audience And once we can prove the audience then all of a sudden these people that were that were nervous about taking taking a flyer on it are are going to be a lot less nervous because they see that you've proven yourself in the marketplace I I had an investor that said that that told me every single uh, movie that is pitched to him he 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 has the filmmakers go he said he'll he'll invest if he decides to invest he will only invest 80 percent and it's 80 percent finishing funds and he makes the filmmakers go and raise 20%, the first 20% of the budget on Kickstarter, right? And and it's it's one, I think he's testing the horsepower of the filmmaker, but really what he's looking for is, you need to prove that there's a market. You need to prove to me that there are people that will actually get behind this thing. And if there's people that actually get behind this thing, guess what? Okay, cool, I'll come up with the, the other 80%. But you gotta you gotta generate the market first. Right, and so uh, so I think if you are one of the filmmakers that have the edgier, non-commercial idea, then you have to figure out a way to get that story and that IP to as many people as you can. Aggregate the data and the analytics of the audience, and then use that to soften the risk analysis that was 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 probably well against you, was working against you, but now you can shift that. Uh, now to to potentially depending on the success to actually working for you in a great way
0: and and too with with the queen's gambit as as sort of edgy and artistic as it was walter tevis had already proven himself with the hustler sure and 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 then it's the man who fell from earth yep. and and I'm not sure how all that fared but so there were there was a succession of 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 successes sure. I guess you could call it and so if, if it had just been an obscure screenwriter who wrote the exact same thing sure. would they have taken a chance on it as amazing as it was
1: well this is this is what they tell you when you go when you go shop shop a, a script that's non unbranded content right uh, they'll say um, they'll say you need to go package this you need to find attachments to this and you need to go find an actor That will say I'll act in this or you need to find a a director that says I'll direct this or producer that says I'll produce this and if you get the attachments involved now all of a sudden they may take a chance on an original idea that's unbranded that's not based on anything else because they're getting the pre-awareness from the talent rather than the IP right so uh, and so yeah if you can get you know, if, if if you can get uh, uh, Julia Roberts to say, "Hey, I'm in," or get Michael B. Jordan said, "I'll I'll I'll be in that," that'd be great. Or you know, get uh, you know uh, uh, The Rock to say, "I'll I'll I'll produce it and star in it." Right? If you can get that, then the game changes for you. The problem with that, the practical problem with that, is it's difficult to get attachments. It's hard. You know, talk to any agents, and like you know, the agents will tell you they'll they'll say you know uh that the, their their clients have scripts, the 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 people they rep they have a stack of script that's taller than my seven year old that they're waiting to, for them to read to decide what to attach to, yeah, and and then that's the ones that actually get to them, right? But, but it's how do you get to these people, right? How do you, how do you, like for the for the the mere mortal filmmaker, how do you get to Michael B Jordan? How do you get your script to michael b jordan especially if you're unwrapped now if you're if you have a manager or an, or an agent then may then you expect your agent to figure out how to connect with their agent and make the submission and things like that but especially if you're if if, if you're unwrapped it's like it's it's in the air impossibility unless you you know see him at a club and you know you get into conversation or 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 you know your your sister is friends with his cousin and you know one of those weird got to know people to know people type of thing right that Hollywood is works or uh, you know with with, with in, in a lot of ways but it's hard to get those attachments I had a a, a buddy who's a professional house sitter for celebrities when they go out of town like he's licensed and bonded as a as a, a as a house sitter uh, which is you know god bless America that that can even be a thing uh, but but so he goes out and you know he uh, um uh, uh, these celebrities go out of town. He'll stay at their house, feed their dogs, feed their parrot, things like that. And then, uh, and then, you know, there's somebody there in case they get robbed, or it, you know, they think they won't get robbed if somebody's in the house. So, but he was telling me that he was at, uh, he was he was staying at um, that at a at an actor's house, who was an A-list actor in the '70s, late '70s. Um, now is older probably a c-list actor you know at this point not you know doesn't do a lot of stuff Uh, but used to be you know everybody knows him it's a big name right Uh, and he he told me he said he would receive courier packages of scripts and he would open them up take the script out open up a room and throw it in and there was this huge pile of scripts there that this guy was supposed to be reading through in order to decide what to attach to. What's going to be your next movie right and and it's just like so frustrating for writers and and because we're writing this stuff and we send it out and we just we're we we think okay The Rock's going to read this and I'm just waiting for The Rock to get back to me and Tom Hanks is going to maybe be in my movie maybe not right but at the same but now you know it's it's 150 scripts before he'll get to your script and who knows when that is it's a hard game to get attachments right if you can get attachments great. But but I like to now say I'm gonna I'm gonna now approach IP in a way that um, that I'm gonna presume I don't get any big atta- attachments. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna not try to get attachments. Of course you attempt to get attachments, but I'm gonna presume I don't. And so that if I do it's gravy it's not the entree I'm not betting on it right and so I'm I'm going to try to attack the market build the IP with pre-awareness as much as I can with the mindset that I'll never get attachments so that I can skew the risk analysis myself through the the aggregation of the of the audience and then if Jennifer Lawrence decides to be in the movie then even better it's gravy right it's it's the icing on the cake not the cake itself right but but that shows you the pre-awareness has to come from somewhere it's either coming from the talent or it's either coming from the IP but it has to come from somewhere right unless this is this is my eternal caveat to that horror movies horror movies are this really bizarre exception somebody like Jason Blum can 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 they, uh, they can make a horror movie with nobody you've ever heard of with a director you've never heard of uh, with a a story that's never been been established in the marketplace and and you can still make those movies and they can still make money at the box office and horror movies defy all those rules for whatever reason Um, uh, which is interesting the horror genre is very specific about that if you come up with a concept that's great and the visual concept that goes along with it, and you know, figure out a, like a wildly creative way to kill people and things like that. Then, then you can you can still you can still get that stuff made. So, so uh, which is great for the horror uh, the, for the horror industry. Everything but the horror uh, outside of the horror industry operates on pre awareness in a major way.
0: I actually like that idea for a, a movie that the house sitter and the the guy goes hey, in and starts reading these scripts because he's bored and he has all this time and he's supposed to stay there and then he, he starts writing himself because he doesn't take anybody's ideas but he just starts he says you know what I want to do a screenplay and it gets made I love it that's, that would that's be great. that would be awesome yeah you should, you should write that like <laughs> okay yeah, well, yeah, you maybe I don't know yeah. <laughs> just establish in the market I'll first. check with your friend first that's it. yeah okay. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure Houston what are your thoughts on Hollywood reboots? what are we doing wrong what are we doing right
1: I think reboots in general I yeah I'm not a am not a huge fan of them I I think you know I, in 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 large respect you know people talk about you know they ruined my childhood and things like that like we, we have nostalgia about you know the things that we loved before uh, but at the same time reboots reintroduce the story to a new generation that that wouldn't necessarily go back and watch an older film and we have to understand that that reality of it if you know I um, you know I uh, I love Ghostbusters uh, when I was a kid uh, but I tried to show Ghostbusters to my little girl and it just wasn't jibing with her, like she, you know, it's, it's different filmmaking, different storytelling styles in different eras, right? I mean, even even with with Star Wars, uh, you know, the original Star Wars, she's she just thinks it's like a weird old movie uh, because the filmmaking's so different now, right? And so she likes the new Star Wars movies more than the old Star Wars movies. Uh, when I think, you know, artistically, the old Star Wars, Wars movies were were better, uh, but but with reboots, I think, you know is there a generation of kids that will actually go back and watch the old 21 Jump Street series probably not should they yeah of course they should of course yeah but will they probably not and so that means there's going to be a generation of kids that don't know the, the the 21 Jump Street story and so rebooting 21 Jump Street in a different way reintroduces the IP to a new generation so in that regard, I, I'm, I'm, I'm down with it. I like it. Uh, I think, though, what's better is let's figure out how to do a soft reboot but still extend the story. I think that's the sweet spot. And you really look to see you know, something like um, uh, what JJ Abrams did with Star Wars, uh, with, uh, with The Force Awakens. He essentially rebooted Star Wars without rebooting Star Wars. he he technically told a new story but if you look at the way that movie was structured and the story and the characters it was basically a soft reboot of Star Wars for people that haven't seen Star Wars and uh, it, it basically retold A New Hope just in a very new and different way and uh, and and but at the same time for legacy fans it still extended the story for us so technically it was new stories for new story for us didn't ruin our childhood because they weren't you know just wiping away the old and re-establishing the new and that's what fans don't like about reboots they're saying the thing that we love before is now no more we're erasing that from canon and we're we're, we're now creating this new thing and we're going to start here comic book fans uh, uh, it's, it's referred to as a renumbering when they they'll think you know this, there was superman 731 issue 731 they'll say we're going to renumber we're going to start over number one which means we're going to wipe out the canon of all the old stuff that's always painful for fans to do that but that's essentially what reboots do they say the old hawaii 50 is no longer now it's the new hawaii 50 and the fans of the old old Get surly about that because they're precious and there's nostalgia and there's memories attached to it and things like that. Even though you know technically is the new stuff better because there's better filmmaking techniques and better technology, maybe probably you know that's 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 a subjective call, right? But but I think the sweet spot is let's figure out how to do soft reboots that 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 extend for legacy audience, but but create a new entry point in for a new audience. Find that that intersection. If the uh, you look at what they're doing with the Ghostbusters, and uh, my little girl didn't like the old the old Ghostbusters, um, then uh, you know the female Ghostbusters that uh, you know when that dropped, that just didn't work because Ghostbusters fans rejected it because they're saying, wait a minute, like those aren't my Ghostbusters. I love Dan Aykroyd and I love, you know, like I I love my Ghostbusters. Where's Egon? And you know all that. Like th- that's the kind of nerdy stuff that that fans get into. Now, you know, there all there's also the layer of, you know, the the misogynistic, these are women, and we didn't like that. There's that whole sort of political angle to it. But I think in a large degree, legacy Ghostbusters fans just, just didn't like their their Ghostbusters being deleted for new Ghostbusters I think if they were if it was all men it probably wouldn't have worked either right may have been a different commentary around it listen and and and, you know of course I'm not denying the fact that there were people that were just misogynistic jerks about the whole thing of course there was that I don't know if that was the bulk of it I think it just wouldn't work regardless because that movie is so precious to so many people uh, that but now it's a whole different conversation with the new Ghostbusters movies that's coming out which effectively is a, is a reboot of Ghostbusters for people who have never seen Ghostbusters but it still extends Ghostbusters for people that have seen Ghostbusters, the legacy audience, right? And so you, you have to try to find that sweet spot, I think, of, of how do we extend and continue rather than stop, delete, and then restart right and so that's I think that's what we th- that I think is a better way forward than just the the, the, the hard reboot um, and, and and maybe there's a there's a different term uh, for it but but I think you know from a from a you can't you have to you have to get a buy-in from a legacy audience especially something like iconic iconic like like uh, like Ghostbusters, right? Uh, that that has a community, a fan community around it. Maybe there wasn't a fan community around Hawaii Five O, or maybe there maybe there was. Maybe there was. I'm not sure. But uh, but things that have actual fan community around it, I think I really feel like you have to you have to you have to continue rather than just restart and you know delete everything that, that that's old. I you mean, know, they're they're. Uh, uh, facing this with the, the reboot of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise and uh, which is crazy they're already talking about rebooting Pirates of the Caribbean I feel like it was just out five minutes ago but uh, but there it's going to be a hard reboot which means they're just going to start over and start telling different stories with a new Jack Sparrow and 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 that's that's that for all the fans that love Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow and all those old movies then then that's going to be a hard tough pill to swallow to say all this stuff that I love doesn't count anymore and because now it's this new thing and there's going to be a division in the fandom you can't divide fandom like that and expect to be a success and so uh, so so yeah I'm, I'm not ideal ideolo- uh, ideologically against reboots of like all reboots are terrible uh, I think some are smart and some reintroduce fans to new stuff like what if they would I ever want them to reboot the princess bride no right but do do kids today go back and watch the princess bride will they ever maybe I don't know like that's the that's that's the calculation right but but I think it would be better to do the princess bride now so many years later that extends the original but still is a soft entry point for new fans but still serves the legacy audience how do we how do we find that balance I'm not saying it's easy JJ Abrams did it with force awakens did it really well Uh, but uh, uh, and I think the ghostbusters is doing that really well Uh, but it's not easy it's a balancing act but I feel like in today's fandom driven market you've got to find that balance
0: do you still love Star Wars now the same way you did when you first saw it in a the theater or wherever you were?
1: Absolutely, I consider myself just a huge Star Wars fan. I uh, I, I, I I love Star Wars. I um, am wildly not objective about Star Wars, uh, and but, you know it's interesting. From a you know I I I try to be objective about Star Wars, but I find myself um, loving it anyway. And I, you know, I, I go back and and I look at Star Wars, and I, I you know, I, I read I recently read the script of Episode One of Phantom Menace, and may have been the worst script I've ever read. Like, just it's just it's just a really bad script, in my opinion. It was just terrible. It's terrible. I still love the movie. I still love the movie. Uh, and it's interesting. I think you know, you look at some artistic decisions. You know, how, how you watch Black Swan, and then you see. How did George Lucas turn Natalie Portman into a bad actress like how did that even like Ewan McGregor Liam Neeson and Natalie Portman how do you turn those people into and 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 Samuel L. Jackson how do you how do you turn them into bad actors uh, that are wooden and stiff like that's that's hard to do he he did that they like they weren't that great think of the artistic choice of the second Death Star in uh, in Return of the Jedi, I was thinking about that the other day. Uh, you have the Death Star in, in the first movie, and then you get to the third movie, and the, and, the, and, and and the central plot is around uh, a second Death Star. That that in today's market, I think would be just like laughed at, and people would say it's lazy writing, and doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. But I love it. I love I love the original movies. I love the prequel trilogy. I love the new movies that were a mess in a lot of ways. Uh, I feel like the rise of skywalker was three movies shoved into two hours and it was pacing issues and all this stuff but I still love it and that's I think the magic of star wars is that star wars doesn't have to be perfect it 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 taps into this youthful uh, whimsy this this uh, this your imagination and and things just take over and 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 it it takes you to this childlike place where you don't have to be objectively filmmaker when you watch Star Wars right and and uh you know of course I want the movies to be good and of course you want the, the craft to be great um but you know Star Wars is Star Wars and uh, and and I'm still a huge fan I'm, I'm a fan of what they're doing you know on their, on the streaming stuff with the Mandalorian and everything else um but uh um, you know for me Star Wars is 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 like an old box and some like an old empty box and me as a dad I have a a seven-year-old and a and a six-month-old and uh, it's interesting like I'll look at an uh, at an empty box as an old empty box but a kid looks at that empty box and it becomes a spaceship or it becomes a carriage or it becomes a tank or it becomes a castle or it becomes all of those in the course of 25 minutes right I think Star Wars is like that old empty box to to some filmmakers and writers and artists and critics they say that's that's there's nothing special about that that's not great I don't get it it's just a box but for me when I look at Star Wars I look at at it like the seven-year-old looking at the empty box say, no 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 that's not a box that's 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 that's, that's an airplane right that's a spaceship and, uh, and and it takes a different lens to, to look through it and, and so you know I am I, I am unabashed of of uh, of my love for uh, for for uh, um, uh, The Last Jedi right which is the most divisive Star Wars film ever Ryan Johnson's uh, uh, you know episode nine Um, I loved it I didn't love everything about it but I loved it I I loved uh, I loved uh, um, uh, The Rise of Skywalker I loved it did I love everything about it of course not they love everything about uh, about Return of the Jedi, of course not, but I still love the movie as a whole. And I think we, we've the fandom has gotten to a point of this deconstructionism of of they people pick on things and they say I, this doesn't you know I mean think about with Game of Thrones and you know Game of last season of Game of Thrones gave us you know the the battle of uh, Battle of Winterfell gave us one of the most dramatic, interesting, coolest episodes of TV ever filmed ever in history and the only thing people could talk about the next day was the coffee cup they left in the scene and because that's today's thing like that's just the way the internet is and that's just the way twitter is and 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 people like to deconstruct it and say oh that's lazy or they dropped they 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 fumbled the landing or whatever they didn't end it right Uh JJ uh, Abrams didn't do this right he didn't get this character right I don't like how Ryan Johnson did uh, Luke Skywalker in this and they nitpick and nitpick and yeah you know things you know things could be different and things aren't perfect and we don't love everything but ultimately you know I, I'm, I'm I'm a fan and I, I love it because it, it's just you know it's it's escapism and and um you know and I try honestly as, as a professional and I think all of us professionals understand how difficult it is to make anything and how like it's a miracle that any movie ever gets made ever uh, and so I've I've learned to even look at quote unquote bad films and still appreciate them. Like, wow, they actually made that. Even though it's terrible and I wasn't I didn't necessarily enjoy it, they still made it. And and the fact that the the fact that, you know, that that anything gets made, I'm gonna appreciate it. And if I can't do better than that, I try not to criticize it. Uh and and say that's garbage or that's lazy or whatever. Um again, I don't love everything about it, but ultimately I look I look at I look at the Star Wars films and, and, and just with with immense respect for how they've been able to keep that IP alive over 60 years or 50 years however long it's been how much they've been able to scale the brand how long they've been able to sustain the fan community and create the culture that they have uh, to continue to, to to push artistic boundaries of what they're doing with the mandalorian and the volumetric capture stage that, that they, they they've built and and uh, just you know the, the storytelling of the Mandalorian, what they're doing, what they're doing now with all the crossover stuff that that, that on, on Disney Plus is absolutely incredible. You have somebody like, a, a character like Ahsoka Tano, I'm going to get, Star Wars nerdy for a second. You have a, you have a character like Ahsoka Tano who is a character from the Clone Wars animated series that they then pull into a different animated series Star Wars Rebels that they then pull into a live action series of The Mandalorian uh and cast a live action actress and now going to spin her off to her own live action series on Disney Plus. What they're doing from a trans in a transmedia sense is just really super interesting. And and how they revived the Star Wars um, I mean say revived Star, it's not like it was dead but like the way they brought Star Wars back in front of culture with baby Yoda and and now we know as Grogu but but ever like everybody was talking about baby Yoda just a cultural sensation of baby Yoda so it's just really smart interesting choices that they make and especially now with Star, they, they, they just uh, they have something now called Star Wars visions where they it's it's uh, it's um, animated short films that are all done created in the manga style uh, so you like uh, Japanese animation it's all done in with with manga creators uh, telling manga stories. Uh, in the Star Wars universe that are very much catered to uh, to a completely new market a younger market a a more eastern market where Star Wars hasn't been able to really get a foothold as a brand very much and 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 it it works and it's good and it's and and it's it's powerful storytelling and um, so I, I appreciate them as a fan I appreciate them as a filmmaker and I appreciate them as somebody who understands how to build and sustain IP like the way they do it is just a masterclass on on how to keep an engine like that running and not just running but thriving in the midst of multiple multiple decades it's really is a tremendous thing and it all goes back to how George Lucas created and built the whole thing it's really like he he approached it in a a unique way and they've continued to, to keep that going.
0: Do you think dividing the fandom is by design?
1: I don't think it's by design. I think it's I think it's a byproduct of today's toxic fandom uh, that is just a thing that that goes on now. Um, but I, I think if you were to criticize Lucasfilm uh, for something, it's it's with the movies they they didn't listen to the fandom. Um, not saying that Star Wars movie the Star Wars fans should decide what's in the Star Wars movies um, I'm, a, I'm I'm very much certain that if Star Wars fans somehow collectively decided what the next Star Wars movie was going to be it would be terrible uh, uh, there is artistic integrity and autonomy with, with the filmmakers but if you look at somebody like Kathleen Kennedy Kathleen Kennedy is she's an old school filmmakers filmmaker she's an old school filmmakers producer you know the the way she used to produce you know old you know Steven Spielberg stuff uh, and um she's very much a filmmakers producer she likes to let the filmmakers run and make great movies and uh and i think part of the misstep of of the 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 latest trilogy has been in her letting the filmmakers kind of run with their own visions and the lego blocks don't fit together with the trilogy as well and not really being in tune with the fandom and 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 what the fandom you know the directions and what the expectations are and uh, and and being able to set the expectations with with the fandom and and uh, not that you can please everybody of course you can't but um, but in some, with something like Star Wars you just can't approach it in the way you would any other movie it's just a whole other organism that you have to understand that the fans are part of the process now and uh, and setting expectation and avoiding cognitive dissonance is a really important thing with uh, w- with with understanding how fandoms work so if I if if if, um, if if I was if I were to go to the south of France for a vacation and And I get there and it's uh, overcast and rainy and cold and super expensive and everybody's grouchy and, and not very nice I would come back from that vacation very upset and frustrated wasn't a great vacation but if I go to New York City and it's overcast and cold and rainy and really expensive and everybody's grouchy guess what that's New York City like I don't, I'm not I, like I'm not frustrated with that a bit. That's the New York City experience. The difference is what's your expectation? And so if 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 I have the expectation that's going to be warm and bright and sunny and everybody's going to be sweet and nice, and it's the opposite of that, that's where frustration kicks in because of cognitive dissonance. And so managing expectation of audiences and 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 letting them know the direction that we're going and some of the things we're trying to achieve and 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 letting them have a voice and 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 making them part of the conversation and 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 helping shape some sort of expectation in their mind. Not saying plot points or things like that or big reveals. I'm sorry, just general direction that the that the franchise is heading. Uh that conversation is super important to have with fandoms today. And that's something that Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kinley didn't do when it came to the 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 sequel trilogy as they call it and and you and you see now all of a sudden you know when when uh, you know I think everybody was on board for Force Awakens but then when Ryan Johnson did the Last Jedi and Luke Skywalker didn't act like people thought Luke Skywalker should act, and there were some choices that were made that were surprising and didn't go the. And then, then all of a sudden, Rise of Skywalker went in some different directions. It, it, that started to divide the fandom, and, uh, and and some people loved it, some people hated it, and we all, they all couldn't agree. And uh, but but there wasn't enough community building. I think they just took the, the community for granted. I think they they said as long as we give them a Star Wars movie, everything will work out, and it just you know it didn't didn't work. But that being said, they the, the you know Kathleen Kennedy gave us the Mandalorian. Kathleen Kennedy gave us Rogue One, which I think is one of the best Star Wars movies ever made. Uh, uh, Kathleen Kennedy has is you know giving us uh, she she brought in John Favreau for for the Mandalorian. She's the, the the book of Boba Fett. She's overseeing all that. Like Kathleen Ten- Kennedy, I think has done more good things than. The bad things it just so happens that i think the misstep was on the biggest stage with the new trilogy because star wars really is built around trilogies and uh that's the legacy of star wars and so you have to nail those uh they i think we could fumble some disney plus series and the fans would gripe about it but it, you can't fumble the the the, the uh um, the trilogy and i'm not saying it's complete fumble but it wasn't it wasn't as good as it should have been from a from a from a trilogy standpoint there should have been uh, she should have made sure that there was there was a creative vision and a creative plan that was that was in place before they even started the first movie and they were able to see that through so there would be lego blocks that connected in the the best possible way make sure the community was on board and and understood the direction they were going uh, they were going in to avoid the cognitive dissonance Uh, and that didn't happen so that being said the movie is still wildly successful but but ultimately it created this division the fan base but the mandalorian kind of brought them all back together and so even though you may hate last jedi and I love last jedi we can all high five on baby yoda right and uh, and so that's been that's been I think a really good thing for the fandom is 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 the mandalorians kind of brought it all back so
0: should star wars ever make another trilogy
1: oh absolutely I think they should make a hundred more trilogies as long as the market it will bear it as long as Star Wars fans want more Star Wars movies absolutely if Star Wars fans don't want more Star Wars movies then then no right the market should decide whether they should make more or whether they shouldn't make more uh, I, I would love I would love more right uh, and, and I think we're gonna I think we're gonna we're gonna see more I think we're going to see standalone movies, and I think we're going to see trilogies. I think the trilogies will be approached differently uh, moving forward. But you, Patty Jenkins is coming in. You know, she she did Wonder Woman, both the Wonder Woman movies. She's doing a Rogue Squadron film, which should be great. Uh, Kevin Feige is uh, going to be producing uh, a um, uh, a Star Wars film. Taika Waititi is uh, writing his own Star Wars movie. Ryan Johnson. Uh, uh, from what I've read still has uh, Star Wars uh, a trilogy that they're going to allow him to do which will probably be super divisive and uh, but I think if you give him a trilogy that's just his it works a lot better right Uh, especially after this what we're seeing like his success in Knives Out and things like that since then I think has has changed his star power a little bit to where I think people trust trust him a little bit more with it uh, than, than maybe they did before or at least they should because Knives Out is great and Knives Out 2 should be great as well uh, I'm a big Ron Johnson fan. if you go back to Brick and things like that he's just great um, but but yeah absolutely 100% they should they should continue to make trilogies they can they should continue to make standalone they should continue to do animation they should could uh, should continue to do live action series games uh, uh, board games Video games, novels. Uh, what they're doing right now in in the publishing space is super, super, super impressive. With the, what they call the High Republic, um, uh, the the High Republic part of the universe, which is thousands of years before the prequel trilogy. Uh, you go back to the, the days where the Jedi were like the um, the, the the Wild West sheriffs, uh, you know, in, in in sort of this this really rough part of the galaxy and and uh, they they have coordinated with multiple authors and multiple comic creators and multiple novelists and and uh, and, and they all have have worked out this tremendous publishing plan where they're where they're publishing adult novels ya novels junior novels comic books that all tie in together to create one big publishing experience that then is going to spin into a live action show for Disney plus that's going to be uh, called the acolyte which is going to be set in the high republic era which they just also announced a new video game that's going to be set in the uh, the knights of the old republic uh, supposedly set in the the similar time um, and uh, and probably then probably become the new trilogy I think part of the, the 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 problem with the sequel trilogy outside of the Lego blocks not fitting together because the plan wasn't installed is you're dealing with legacy characters that everybody cares about Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Princess Leia and Chewbacca and so all of a sudden everybody has ideas of how those characters should go and how and what we should do with them you can't kill that one but you should kill that one things like that I think think any new trilogy needs to unhitch from those legacy characters and establish New characters and uh, new stories in different parts of the galaxy, uh, dealing with different things, and so you don't have all that legacy baggage. That's why I think the Mandalorian worked, is because it it was it it didn't have to deal with any of those legacy characters. And we all like, okay, we don't have any expectations anymore of, of 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 how Luke Skywalker's story should end. We can all just enjoy this new ride together. And so I think. I I think that will probably be the way of a new trilogy Um, but but who knows I mean right I mean who knows the the way it'll go I mean if Star Wars is sort of built around this idea of uh, of of pulling in you know the crossover of different things and taking minor characters from the background of this one scene in A New Hope and now we're going to make that a major character in The Mandalorian and and that's cool for fandoms and there's this very uh, incestuous approach to Star Wars which maybe is not the best word to use but maybe is the right word since Luke and Leia actually kiss and then you find out they're brother and sister which is all again one of those weird things that we just love Star Wars so we overlook uh, but uh, but but it's very uh, very connected and in, in the way they dyna- well, the way Lucas always dynamically connected all the stuff and that Lucasfilm with the with what they call the story group which is the the, the team that oversees the connection between all the different uh, video games and movies and tv shows how it all works together so if, there will always be connection and crossover but I think moving past those legacy characters is going to is going to create a, create a more forgiving uh, perspective on it on a new trilogy uh, that, that they didn't have with the sequel trilogy even though they had different protagonists the fact that Luke Skywalker was in there and Han Solo was in there, and you know JJ killed Han Solo uh, in Force Awakens, and it just like freaked so many people out. Even though I thought it was a, kind of a powerful, interesting moment uh, uh, in, in the movie, it really just made a lot of people mad because they love Han Solo and they we think they should never die. And Star Wars fans are weird like that. But it but it's it's I think unhitching from those characters is really going to be be the way forward. So uh, I really look forward to all the new content, whether whether it's 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 feature films or not what I do think though is that they'll really manage the windowing of the release of the films it it was getting to a point where you know they were they were releasing one a year and uh, that I think was was difficult especially when you put in the marvel movies in the mix Uh, black panther and solo were released you know just a few weeks apart and and you know there there was some disney cannibalization going on I think the way forward for Star Wars movies is just spacing them out more right especially if you have the Disney plus content and the publishing content and the the game content to kind of go between the movies to, to help continue to feed the fan base between those big releases uh, I think that's going to make them more special and um, uh, because once you start kind of pumping them out so much you, they start to lose their shine a little bit um, and um, especially when it comes to you know, the, the interconnected stories it's just it's just uh, they become less special so windowing I think will help
0: youtuber mr beast spends four million dollars a month to make what three or four youtube videos what do you think about that
1: well I think if the market watches it and it works for him I think that's great I mean I think you know if, if, his, if he gets a return on his investment if he gets if the roi makes sense Mozulov, I think that's amazing, uh, and I th- am presuming that you know if you look at his numbers and the subscribers, uh, it seems like the market is bearing out his approach. And um, so, so I think it's great. I mean, you know, again, with with any with any budget, right? I mean, uh, with with the, you know, Game of Thrones spending ten million dollars for one episode of TV, for the Lord of the Rings series spending you know twenty million dollars for one episode of tel- television, or him spending four million dollars for a YouTube video if 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 that if that creates a positive roi and creates something that people enjoy and the audience responds to I think it's awesome I think it's awesome I don't think it's a it's a necessity for everybody I think uh, uh, the trap is to think is well that means I have to spend four million dollars on the on, on an episode or or on a YouTube video or if I don't spend uh, four million dollars then i can't do a good YouTube series or i think people get in their head about that stuff and try to create rules and things like that uh but his brand is built around these super complicated expensive stunts and crazy things that he does and uh and i think you know that's that works for him and obviously he gets results from that and so you know i don't want to criticize that i think it's great and uh, it's working you know? but but at the same time I think other people may can do a very successful YouTube series for zero dollars uh, I don't think it, it sets a sets a bright line rule for everybody to follow but for him it's, he's making it work for sure
0: have you studied Mr. Beast at all have you sort of done a deep dive with some of his videos
1: sure yeah I've I've I, I don't I don't I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a fan I'm not one of his fans that that subscribe to his channel and watch all his stuff, uh, but definitely aware of all the different things that he has done and how he's grown his brand and diversified his brand in a really interesting way, and and the philanthropy he's he's done. He does a lot of really cool uh, philanthropic uh, initiatives. So uh, so definitely aware and appreciative of of his approach for sure.
0: What do you think other creators can learn from his success?
1: I think what creators can learn from the success of Mr. Beast is use the platform that you have in front of you use the platform that is there and for free that you don't have to uh, you know, wait for CBS to give you uh, a TV deal to be able to uh, to start building your audience. And this is a f- refrain that I always go back to: is use the tools that you have, attack the market with what you have, and and if then if your stuff is good enough, uh, then you're going to start building building that audience out. And so that's what I love about Mr. Beast is 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 he just used what was in front of him, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Twitch, whether it's TikTok, whatever it is use the tools that you have also uh, you look at volume I think you know Mr. Beast uh, you know he he produces a lot of content uh, and uh, it's not just one thing every now and then like it, it's it's you know it, his big stunt prank things uh uh you know are windowed but there's a lot of content that comes through a, the variety of his channels because he doesn't just have one channel he has multiple channels right and so basically he's his own network if you look at it in the traditional sense and so volume of content in a commoditized market is a strategy that's super super important if you only do one thing every now and then in a commoditized market there's so much new content that hits the market Market, your one thing just disappears because there's too much stuff that that sort of buries it right so you have to be able to uh, take a volume based strategy to be able to compete in in a commoditized market and that's what Mr Beast is doing lots of content on the platforms that are that are available to him that the platforms that 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 he's on and what I like about him is 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 diversification is is he has different channels and different types of things he tries different formats Uh, it's not just a one-trick pony it's he's willing to try new and different things on different platforms in different styles in different formats and genres and 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 really diversify the brand and if you look at Uh, uh, if you listen if you read Warren Buffett and or listen to Warren Buffett which I don't know if Mr. B's listened to Warren Buffett or not but Warren Buffett says he never he never suggests that investors uh, invest into companies that that operate in commoditized markets because it's just too it's just too difficult for them to compete unless they have the right strategy of competing in the commoditized market which he says is creating a branded ecosystem based on diversification diversification and volume and synergy is your stuff tied together are you creating lots of stuff and are you diversifying the type of stuff that you're creating and the platforms that you're creating on and if you look at what Mr. Beast is doing he's really doing a great job of the synergy of volume and diversification and so I think that's why he's able to to compete in the commoditized market which is that's the big takeaway that, that as a filmmaker for me uh, is that's what I learned from, from him. He's not waiting on anybody to give him permission to create his stuff and, and now that he's created it himself on this platform, guess what, he owns the brand. Nobody owns, else owns his brand and if if CBS or ABC or Amazon or Netflix or whoever decides to come and say hey we want to do a whole you know Mr. Beast movie or a Mr. Beast cartoon or a Mr. Beast uh, uh, series He's now in a leveraged position to where he will decide uh, uh, how how that deal will play out uh, because he owns his own brand. Look what happened with with Joe Rogan and Spotify. Uh, You know he did a five hundred million dollar deal with Spotify for his podcast because he owned his podcast because he launched his podcast. Before getting involved with Spotify and grew his own audience, and that's that's what I love about Mr. Beast is Mr. Beast owns this brand. It's his. He doesn't have any any uh, uh, you know of these of these studios or networks uh, uh, divvying up the rights or, or or controlling him or dictating the content. Like he's in the driver's seat of, of his brand, which as a, as a creator, I I am always going to uh, uh, root for and I'm impressed by and um, and so that I'm, I'm a fan of that um, and that's why I, I think filmmakers can learn from him as well is own your brand use the tools that you have in front of you diversify and and, and attack the market with volume he's doing all those things and and, and it's and it's working for him it's, it's playing out in the market
0: what do you think about Mr. Beast purchasing 100 acres of land and uh, building a 10 million dollar studio he's 23. Thanks.
1: I think, it's, I think it's amazing I mean I think if you look at if you look at what Tyler Perry did if you look at what Robert Rodriguez is of uh, what he did I mean he's following in those footsteps as a YouTuber which is amazing and it, the more you could disintermediate other people that control your stuff and control your content or control the way you produce the content or or how you produce the content when you produce the content where you produce the content the more that you can just own your own brand in every way that's always going to be better right and and you know it's an asset I mean it's it's you know he's now a real estate magnet right like it's it's uh, the fact that I mean that gives that's that's valuable that's financially valuable but the fact that he's creating his own studios is it it just shows nobody's going to tell him how to create when to create and why to create Uh, so if you're using YouTube studios there's strings attached if you use as well there should be because there it's youtube studios right if somebody's coming into my studio or your studio of course there's you know you're going to tell me how i should act and i should tell you how you should act and how you, there's always going to be strings attached and which means ultimately you don't really own your stuff uh, you know i mean it's like it's like moving into a neighborhood with a with with with, with a really aggressive hoa right? The fact that, you know, if you can't let your lawn grow more than six inches high, else you start getting fines. Do you really own your lawn at that point? Uh, I mean, there's like an interesting, like for me, I don't like that. I don't like people telling me how, like when I need to cut my grass or I can't, uh, how quickly I need to remove my trash cans from the curb before I get the ticket. I don't like that, right? I feel like these are my trash cans. This is my lawn. I should be able to do with what I want, right? I feel like that's the American way. and that's and, And so I love the fact that An independent creator doesn't have to go to some giant conglomerate to be able to make the stuff and this is a refrain that I always go back to uh, is is how does the how does the filmmaker not wait for permission from a giant multi-billion dollar international conglomerate uh, uh, to, to to say you can you can create the stuff that's in your heart. How do you just go ahead and do it yourself? And by creating his own production facilities, just like Tyler Perry, just like Robert Rodriguez, just like you know uh, M Night Shyamalan, just just like any of these independent creators that go and do their own thing, he he's doing that, and he's gonna he's gonna have his destiny in his own hands that doesn't preclude him from working with any of these other people but it just puts him in more of a leveraged position because he just has more ownership over everything literally has more ownership over the whole thing
0: we think it's only a matter of time before mr beast will make a movie and it'll gross 100 million dollars plus sure. what do you think about that
1: oh yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm certain of it I think uh, uh, he will be able to continue to grow the brand to the point where if there's demand for a feature film or or for something uh, like that, or even a TV series, of course. I mean, you look at something another YouTube breakout, uh, the Hot Ones, which was an inter- interview show on YouTube that was wildly popular, and it was a very basic concept where this guy he interviews a famous person, and uh, they eat hot wings as they as they uh, as they interview, and the hot wings get hotter as they go. Right? Super clever concept, right? That just, you know, that slowly built a very massive audience that 100 million people subscribe to the channel. And eventually, then he gets his own uh, real uh, reality show and own real, uh, well, an actual TV. He now has an interview show and he gets called up to the major leagues because that's usually the way it goes. Uh, but, he esta- but he owns the brand and he established it first. So that typically is, is the, 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 the path that 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 uh, brands go in now does that does that necessarily mean that he'll have to do it no I think you know he'll you know I obviously I don't think he would need to do it for any financial benefit necessarily I don't think at this point he's super motivated by money because he's been very financially successful which I think is a good thing so I think Mr. Beast will look at look at the options of I don't have to do it for money so the reasons I'll do it is it are the reasons that will help grow the brand, feed the fan base in the right organic way that makes sense for the brand. Uh, where people I think where where brands get off is is it off track is when they do it for a money grab and it it's not coherent to the brand and it doesn't feel like it's contextual in in in, in, a, in a in a way that that adds value to the fan base. It just feels like a sellout payday right and, and sometimes it can feel like that uh, but I think with Mr. Beast taking ownership of the brand the, the, in the way that he's done and been able to amass the serious wealth that he's been able to amass with the brand that the motivation won't be money it will be something else and doesn't mean it's going to be great this doesn't mean it's going to work but I, I do think he'll probably follow that path um, you look at something you know a board game you um, that was that was created called throw throw burrito uh, is um, an and exploding kittens and, and there was there's a, there's a company uh, that that created these indie board games on kickstarter and um, and they got to be super popular and um, now they're being turned into cartoons and you know and, and and tv shows and movies and things like that because that's the way of the entertainment industry works right is is eventually you get you get that big break for the big platforms I think Mr. Beast will will do something non-traditional I think maybe Mr. Beast because he has a community may not go to Paramount Pictures to make the Mr. Beast movie or maybe even not even Netflix I think maybe Mr. Beast does something very non-traditional like like launching a movie as an NFT uh, on the blockchain uh, and um, uh, pulling the community in participation of of uh, of the movie through the nft so they could actually now participate as as equity partners in the exploitation of the film and and try something different because there's no downside for him to try that Uh, and there's no reason he has to go to traditional Hollywood I think you know just the the fact that he's been so new media with everything and so outside the quote unquote system of Hollywood I I I would guess that before he would go to a universal pictures or 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 paramount pictures or disney or somebody like that or nickelodeon I think it would be I think he would explore something non-traditional like launching it on the blockchain which I think would be great because the thing that makes nfts work is community having an established community that can jump in and purchase the nft purchase the tokens that then monetizes the uh, the the product the movie or whatever it is monetizes the whole project um, and then gives them that profit participation and a stake in the actual brand the the, where nfts fail is a lack of community is is they launched nft and there's nobody nobody there to buy them because they haven't built community first the nfts that are really working are the ones that have community first then launch the nft Uh, and so the fact that Mr Beast has amassed so many subscribers has amassed this huge community I would I would be shocked if 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 he didn't explore something like an nft to be able to launch a series or launch a movie and you're already seeing creators kind of moving into that so it's not completely like untested waters Uh, but uh, I I would I would guess that there would be some sort of willingness to do something non-traditional and outside the system as a way to create that movie or create that tv show
0: sorry guys this entire theory doesn't hold water at all the massive breakthrough success of the mcu has done almost nothing on all caps to increase the sales of marvel comics as a matter of fact the books are struggling big time conversely iron man was a lesser-known marvel hero when his movie dropped and the guardians of the galaxy were mostly obscure comic book delisters. both suggesting that it wasn't comic readers that made the movies succeed it was also the quality of the marvel movies as movies that made people care so yeah go ahead and try to launch a comic and or novel and or video game while you simultaneously meet the herculean task of shooting and promoting an indie movie good luck there you will need it sure
1: yeah absolutely I think I think if you, if you pull that apart a little bit there's a couple of interesting things that 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 I would respond to because uh, I I, I want to have empathy for that comment and the the comments interesting I'll take the middle comment there uh, first about the, the Herculean task of trying to do it simultaneous of a movie. That's crazy. You should never try to be doing it simultaneous to the film. I would never advocate you trying to create a comic book while you're trying to make a movie. That's crazy. You should never do that. You should you, you should be creating the comic book well before you ever make the movie, for sure. Like, it, it, you, yeah, you, you can't be, you can't be, sim- anybody that's ever made a movie Knows how all-encompassing it is to make a movie. You can't do anything. You can barely feed yourself uh, and pay your bills and take your dogs on a walk while you're trying to, like, you know, at the same time of making a movie. Like your whole life stops just so you can do that. There's no way you're gonna be able to be managing, you know, the production of a mobile game and the production of an album and the and, and the and the production of a comic book while you're making a movie. So so. I would 100% agree with the commenter about that. Don't do it. Let's just avoid that altogether. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't make a comic book and a movie. Let's just make them at different times, right? So now, before you ever make the movie, let's make the comic book to then grow the audience in a way that that establishes pre-awareness in the market. I mean, think about this. Think about think about you know, when, when you make a movie that's not based on... Let, let's just say you find the financing. Let's just say hypothetically you find magical financing your grandma leaves you a hundred thousand dollars in her will so that you can make your your movie so you make a hundred thousand dollar feature film which is awesome right you have the financing to do it if it's unbranded content when you release the movie you're releasing it to to no fans by definition there aren't any fans because this has never been released in the market before it's unbranded content you haven't you haven't pushed it out at all so there isn't anyone who loves it yet and it couldn't be great i'm not saying it's not great no one knows about it yet because the movie's not out yet right so you're releasing it into the market with no fans just hoping and praying that everybody shows up on opening weekend so we can consider this a success right so now look at look at the other the the other path is we know that that it's it's uh, that any movie one when you start production it's going to be 2 years before that movie ever sees a lot of day but even even if you go through the the normal you know pre-production principal photography post-production distribution process but let's say even before you get to that to to to, to the production standpoint leading up to it Right, you go ahead and establish the market, say with a comic book or podcast. Let's just say podcast, right? So you say you launch the podcast. Ideally, maybe podcast and comic book, right? But let's just stick with one. Let's say let's say podcast. If you have ten thousand people who love your podcast that is connected narratively to the movie that you will you will be releasing in the future, right? So you you you, you open the brand up. To 10,000 people who love the narrative universe, the story, the characters, the concept, like they're in it, right? And and, and now they're your fans. They're in your brand. They're supportive because we love this podcast. It's awesome. We're fans of this whole thing. When you make your movie and release your movie, guess what you're doing? You're going to release the movie and there's 10,000 fans that already love it. They already love it. They, they, They may not love the movie yet but they love the brand and releasing a movie to 10,000 fans who already love it is better than releasing a movie to no fans that to, to no fans right like that like that, that that's the punchline is it's of course like think about this if, if, if I if I if I release if I release a podcast and I and I create 10,000 fans and then I release a novel I release that novel into a market that's warm. It's a warm market not a cold market now. I've warmed the market with 10,000 fans. Now there's 10,000 fans that can buy my book and then let's say I get 20 bucks per book. Do the math 10,000 times 20 that equals out to a profit potential as opposed to not doing anything first and then just releasing my novel into the market to zero fans. Does that, Does that? mean that there's no way for me to make money? Of course not there's people that, do, that make money in books all the time but it's a harder road to release to no fans than it is to release to 10,000 fans. It's reductive thinking. You almost have to make yourself a little bit dumber to use common sense for that to make sense. I feel like we're overthinking it. Like, Of course it's better to have 10,000 fans already loving your stuff when you release your movie. Of course, of course right i mean it just it just it just it just makes sense it, and so it, so whatever way you can establish the community of fans any community of fans that love your brand and love your ip ahead of the release of the movie then when you release that movie you're going to increase your chances for success does it guarantee success of course not but you have a higher chance of success than if you release that same movie into a cold market that's the punchline. Now, then if you add in the fact that there's probably not, you're, you're, you've minimized your chance of gaining investment from a private equity investor or a studio because it's unbranded content, right? Like, like that, that's a whole other conversation that, that just to get the financing, you need to have that market presence by and large that comes by way of attachment or by, by brand awareness uh, of the IP, right? But, but so, so there's lots of reasons you need to do this. But I completely agree you shouldn't do it at the same time it'll make you go crazy right that's that you know it'll make your marriage fall apart and make you grow a crazy beard and make you stressed out like it, it, it's just it's bad news like you shouldn't you should not try to juggle all the like the filmmaking is so crazy difficult we all know being on said, it's just too difficult to do all those things at the same time right spread them out warm the market then release the movie so that's the middle comment the second thing I'll address about the comment uh, really is the first part of the comment where the, the commenter said uh, that the the MCU didn't boost sales of Marvel comics and 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 I would agree with that as well. I would I would absolutely I'm agreeing with the commenter more than I'm disagreeing with the commenter uh, because there's a narrative reason for that is is when they when Kevin Feige launched the MCU it was a different canon than the comics. And so, you know, canon is sort of the official narrative that goes along with a franchise or or an IP. And so, what is the official story? And there were, I mean, there was what seventy years or of 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 Marvel comic narrative that had been going on forever. And and when they started the MCU, they wanted to start a new canon because that was way too much complexity, way too much baggage, uh, way too much story to deal with adequately it just confines the filmmakers too much right because because there's you know the only way you can make this movie is you if you go read 3,000 comic books uh, that doesn't become an attractive uh, entry point for a filmmaker to want to do right so uh, so it's just too much baggage and so they they they, they said the MCU will be a special canon It's going to be a new canon that the comic books will still be the thing will be a thing and they'll still have their own canon they'll have their own stories that will continue but we're going to set up a new completely fresh consistent canon that starts with the MCU that won't just be the movies they actually have a line of comic books that that is a special MCU line of comic books that's tied in with the MCU that goes along with the MCU but those comic books aren't part of the, the the legacy Marvel comic books that that you know that uh, that are out there and so yeah of course when 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 the Iron Man movies and the the Avengers movies and all these movies came out they didn't boost sales of the comic books because the comic books didn't extend the story of the movies. And so from a transmedia perspective, the incentive for the audience to migrate to a different platform is that the, the, the story in the different platform is going to give them more insight and more narrative and more payoff uh, of the, the thing that they love. And so they, if they were to learn more about this, these movies and the TV shows and things like that by going to the comic books, maybe they would have. But because all Marvel fans knew, even new Marvel fans or even legacy fans, that there was a disconnected canon, there was no incentive for them to go uh, check out the uh, you know check out the, the comic books. And uh, and and I don't think Kevin Feige at, at Marvel necessarily intended for these things to 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 uh, for the, the the comic book sales to spike. So that's why they didn't spike. They broke the canon, and there was never a business objective. Or a creative objective of Kevin Feige who's over the puppet master of the MCU and so uh, so 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 of course of course those didn't spike now does that mean see this, we don't want to we don't want to conflate that to say well that means comic books connected with with with, with movies don't work and there's no reason because they no, it, it they can make it work like if, if the canon would be consistent with uh, with the the film and television and and they work together now all then all of a sudden they begin to feed each other you look at the the, the difference in how Marvel treated the legacy uh you know the the, the legacy comics um uh in, in with Marvel and and compare that to how Lucasfilm uh, deals with the comic books um in Star Wars it's very different and so all of a sudden you know you, you watch the sequel trilogy and you have Kylo Ren who is who is uh the head of the Knights of Ren and uh and uh in the movies the Knights of Ren aren't really explained like who they are and how how he got roped in with those with that crew seemed just like you know it's a kid that kind of got involved with some bad friends that took him in a bad direction they, they sort of allude to it so you can still enjoy the movie without all that backstory knowledge right but they revealed who the Knights of Ren are what happened to to Ben Solo after he left Luke Skywalker's uh, you know Jedi Academy and kind of went off on his own uh, and and uh, they, they tell that complete story in comic books and so now the comic books is is, is now extending the film uh, franchise the trilogy and now there's synergy between the two things and so now obviously we have film fans who are migrating over to the comic book does everybody migrate of course not Not everybody migrates right but you get your the, the the comic books do absolutely benefit from the migration of a certain percentage of the film fans that want to dig deeper and know more or there are some people that haven't seen the movies that are into the comic books and then find the entry point of the comic books and then find their way over to the movies because they were now interested in the Knights of Ren and that's part of the movies. And so it, it, it can flow both ways, right? So, so you absolutely see spikes in sales when there's intentional narrative synergy, what I call additive comprehension between the works, right? But that's an intention that needs to be made from a business perspective, a business model perspective, and also a narrative intention that goes along with that you got to tie these stories together in a very intentional way to have that happen if you don't intend it from a business perspective and you don't intentionally tie these stories together narratively of course you'll never see a spike but that doesn't that doesn't lead you to a conclusion of you should never have a comic book right like like that that's it, it's a complete like it depends on how you execute the comic book and how you and how you execute it in the context of where it goes along with the film it's the contextual information that you kind of need to be able to make that work right so uh, so so absolutely uh, uh, the, the, the the commenter is is right in the analysis but I think the conclusion that's inferred from that analysis is is, is incorrect you just don't want to conflate it and apply it to oh you never need to do a comic book comic books are dumb like you don't need to get to that conclusion let's just do it in the right way if you intend it, if you intend the spike, that means you have to do it in the right way. That's all that means. They didn't. Star Wars actually did this with 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 what they called the extended universe, which they when 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 Lucasfilm or when Lucasfilm was sold to Disney, uh, they had been writing novels and comic books and and especially novels for twenty years. Uh, and there were I mean, hundreds of novels and video games and comic books all the stuff that Disney inherited by way of the purchase not just the original film trilogy or the prequel trilogy there were there were hundreds and hundreds of, 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 of licensed works that were created and it was too much for Lucas or for Disney to figure out so they decanonized all that stuff and said this isn't an official story anymore from from at this point on we're creating new canon we're disconnecting from this other stuff right so 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 in the same way the new stuff that they've released doesn't spike the sales of all that extended universe stuff that, that that's older because there's a narrative disconnect right and it's not their business intention so of course whenever you have that disconnect it's not going to it's not going to achieve that result and I don't think they're disappointed in it because they never intended to, to do that in the first place and the last part of the comment is like uh, you know, talked about luck. With any luck, this would have. Of course, you listen. Nothing's ever guaranteed. Everything, like you know, whether it's luck or kismet or or you know, fate or destiny, whatever it is, like of course, there's always going to be an element of, of, right place, right time. Uh, uh, what what do you call it luck call it just whatever you call it karma I don't know there's there's something that that this x factor that has to happen for things to be to pop off to be successful No, if anybody ever tells you that there's a guaranteed way or a guaranteed model of success in the film industry or the creative industry or creative content production that, that there's a guaranteed methodology Of like the silver bullet do this every time and it's going to pop and and be amazing and be huge if anybody ever says that you need to you need to you know run the opposite direction because it's not true It, it, it all you can have the the best laid plans you can have the best stories the best ideas the best business model and and sometimes it just doesn't work for a thousand different reasons and it's not because your business model is bad and it's not because your idea was bad or you're like just sometimes it doesn't work and it's weird and and it's just like and or sometimes culturally something it, it happens and it and, and something pops off and it's just right place right time the right idea and who knew that baby Yoda would blow up the way baby Yoda did like you know like was that luck was that right place right time what like what was it I don't know and so so yeah like this anything that I say is, is is not silver bullet. I think you know uh, anybody that writes a screenwriting book of like this is the way to structure a screenplay. That's not a guarantee If you use the structures to guarantee that your screenplay is going to sell or be good, of course not. Of course, it, you need some element of quote unquote luck in addition to best laid plans and 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 and, and, and you know and, and approaches that increase your chances. Right. That's all I'm saying is, is if you if you use a multi-platform approach to attack the market in as many ways possible to use all the tools in the toolbox, generate audience, uh, have a market presence for your IP, uh, be able to 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 create an ecosystem that feeds itself in a commoditized market before you get to the big st- the big film and television investment-heavy things that are so risky for people and they don't want to lose their jobs because they don't want to take the risk. If you just do that stuff. It doesn't guarantee you selling anything it doesn't guarantee you succeeding in anything it increases your chances you know from a, from a from a, from a sp- with a sports analogy if 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 you just take an unbranded piece of content and and you just release it into the market and you try to sell the script you try to you know uh, you just you just you just put it out there right it's like it's like with the football analogy. It's like being back on your own one-yard line, throwing a hail mary all the way down the field, right? That's hard. Like it's rare that that works. It's very difficult, right? And and uh, does does every now and then does does it work for somebody? Of course. And that's the trap. You see somebody on the, the, the you know a few feet down from you say, "Ooh, they completed their pass." That means I can complete my pass, which is true. Technically, it's true. But you may spend 20 years trying to throw that same Hail Mary down the field and never and it just doesn't work. And that's not your fault. And it's just not doesn't mean you're a bad person or a bad creative. It just didn't work. So what I say is let's run a few plays to move down the field a little bit. Let's do the five yard podcast. Let's do the 15 yard comic book. Let's do the seven yard uh, board game. Right. And let's get to the point to where we're at the 50-yard line and throw the Hail Mary. Because everything in the film industry is going to be a Hail Mary. Everything. Even the studios with the stuff that they do is going to be Hail Marys. Nothing's guaranteed. Right. But every, especially for independent filmmakers, everything that we make is going to be a Hail Mary. So, but I would rather throw the Hail Mary from the 50 than my own one. That's all I'm saying. It increases your odds, it increases your chances. But you do have that. Have to have that little piece of magic. You have to have that little piece of magic or luck or whatever you call it in order for these things to work. And that's it's the cool thing about the industry, right? You just, there, there's, it's not ones and zeros like the Matrix. There's there's something else that 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 comes in to all the stuff that you make, and and you know, and and, and uh, you know, it it makes something come alive, and that's cool, and that and that's interesting, and that makes what makes it exciting. So so I agree with almost every single thing in that comment which is which is but maybe I have a different perspective or a different angle in it.
0: And sorry for those of us who don't know football, what is the definition of that type of a pass?
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. T- uh, sorry, for, I forget the, no, that's okay. the football. Yeah. So uh so a Hail Mary is is uh uh just uh, you know, it, it's usually your last resort, you're way far back on the other end of the field and and you just like throw it way up in the air and just hope that somebody catches it, right? It's not really a, a you know, a, a well-designed tactical play. It's it's the Hail Mary, let's just hope and pray that something happens and it works right like that's that's uh, that's the hell mary and and it usually only happens when teams are getting ready to lose and they're running out of time and there's nothing else to do except throw it really far down the field really high in the air and just see what happens
0: what can filmmakers learn from the pixar theory
1: I think what filmmakers can learn from the pixar theory is is that just how fans think and and for people that don't know the the Pixar theory the Pixar theory is the unofficial fan theory that all the Pixar movies exist in one narrative universe and they're all connected in crazy ways Uh, where Pixar the the official line from Pixar is that all these things are disconnected right and they don't have anything to do with each other Uh, but fans they've constructed their own crazy interconnected universe and so uh, what, what filmmakers can learn from that is that innately Fans love connection. They love things to cross over. They love the, the the one story that they love to connect with the other story that they love. They desire this. And if, if if they don't see a connection, they will figure out how there is a connection. And if you look at fan theories, not just the picture theory, but just like any fan theories, there are, are, are fun and interesting, but it shows that the, the psychology and the mentality of the modern fandom that they crave connection. You look at something like, um, you know, with uh, the fact that uh, if you watch episode one of Star Wars, um, in the Galactic Senate scene, there's a there's a pod of aliens that are all ETs, which means wait a minute, that's e- ET is is in the Star Wars universe. Uh, which and, and so now these things are connected in a really interesting way. Which then, if you then go watch ET, that makes that that, uh, that um, explains why ET reacts to the kid in the Yoda mask. Not because he's an alien, but the reason he reacts to the Yoda mask is because he's Yo- he knows Yoda because he's from the Star Wars universe which means if when ET makes the bicycle fly at the end of the movie he's not using weird alien magic he's using the force which means ET's a Jedi which is awesome and fans will work all that stuff out and and which is ridiculous but it's fun but it's ridiculous but what it shows so we shouldn't discard that as filmmakers say oh that's just a crazy fan theory no no like look at why the fan is doing that and, and figure out how, like what, what's the mentality and what's the psychology behind that? They crave connection. I mean, think about this, think about M. M. Night Shyamalan. What, you know, he, he, people haven't been excited about M. Night Shyamalan in 15 years, right? Uh, but then when he, made, when he made Split, right? Which was a solid movie and it was good but the best part of Split was at the end when they re- revealed the connection to Unbreakable. And that's when people said, Oh my God, M. Shamlan, he's back, Imlat he, Night Shyamalan is great. It, it, he, his, his filmmaking didn't necessarily improve, he started connecting his stories and the fans got excited about it. So then you had Unbreakable, then he connected it with Split and then they converged those things into, into Glass and, and he created his own little connected universe out of those three films which fans loved and it really revived his career. That one decision to connect those films revived his whole career in a great way right? Kevin Smith, you look back at Kevin Smith he, he, who broke in with with the glut of independent filmmakers that, that broke into the 90s, the, the thing that separated him from all those other filmmakers is the fact that he started connecting interconnecting all his movies. His you know, clerks connected the Mall Rats which collected the connected to chasing Amy, which connected to Jay and silent Bob and and uh, you know they all existed in in you know this, this little town in Jersey and they, they they you know they referred to the different the, 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 the plot points of the different movies in a really interesting way. Uh, but still in the way that they could still stand alone but there was obvious there was a connection that separated him from all those other filmmakers and and, and was able to, uh, he created a community around his IP that other filmmakers weren't able to do because they didn't connect. Not and listen. I think we could probably. I think Kevin Smith would agree that he's not necessarily the best filmmaker of all those filmmakers that broke uh, broke in in the '90s, right? Uh, but he was able to build just such a rabidly devout community because the fans were excited about the connections between the stories. And so, the, so for me, the Pixar theory is all about. The fans and the way they think. It's not about. I mean, it's interesting to think about. Of like, well, the witch, you know, the witch in brave is actually the little girl in Monsters Inc. Uh, and uh, because when you when you see the witch's cabin, there's a there's a there's an etching of Mike Wazowski and Sully in the wood carving of the of of the wall, which which uh, which then I think the theory says uh, uh, after after Sully leaves Boo at the end of Monsters Inc. Um, she spends the rest of her life searching for him and uh, uses the magic of the doors to ultimately like get trapped in uh you know ancient Scotland and but she she understands how to use the magic of the doors to then turn people into bears and the reason she turns them into bears is she's trying to recreate Sully in her own life always without you know with tragic results and and it's like however the story goes right or or the fact that I think that uh, the Pixar series theory says that you know, um, uh, if you watch the end of Frozen, uh, uh, Rapunzel and the dude that Rapunzel um, uh, Flynn, the dude that Rapunzel marries, they're at Elsa's coronation, which means they're connected. Which uh, then the, the, the theory said that Elsa's parents died in a in a ship sinking accident, and um, but they actually didn't die; the ship sank. Uh, they actually made it to a deserted island, restarted their lives, had a son on the island who was Tarzan. And then the ship that sank was the ship that the Little Mermaid explores at the beginning of the Little Mermaid when she fighting with the fork and all that stuff. And they create all this connection and that's fun, right? But that's not the big takeaway. The big takeaway is what are they doing? Like, think of that. Think about what they're doing. They're, they're working hard to create connection. That's what they want. They love it. They that excites them, right? Connection, excite. That, this is why it's why people this is the brilliance of the MCU. This is the brilliance of what, what 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 of what's going on with the Mandalorian. This is this is the this is this is what, even in video games with, with things like Kingdom Hearts and 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 when when you throw you know a uh, uh, you know a crossover character into a Mortal Kombat game we love crossover and connection you look at the Chicago Fire Chicago Med Chicago PD all the biggest like rating ratings events in TV are those crossover events right as a kid I loved it when scooby-Doo, Crossed over with Batman and Robin and the the, the Globetrotters. And there was the connection. The, like we, the fans always love that stuff. And it's always played out. Which makes me wonder: why would a filmmaker ever make things without connections to other things? If you do, you're going against the psychology of the audience because the Pixar theory, for first and foremost, shows the mindset of the modern fan. Which means when you create something and you're not connecting anything, you're, you're you're going against the expectation of the audience, and and you know ultimately you know that's uh, uh, I th- I think if you if you create things understanding your audience. And understand how they think and what motivates them and what they like. Uh, if, if, if you read up on, on this philosophy called phenomenology, uh, phenomenology is the philosophy of, of the, the highest, the the, the, the the most art, the, the greatest artistic achievement of the artist is not the art itself. It's the experience that you create between the audience and the art. The experience is the th- is the achievement, not the art. But the only way to get the experience is to understand what the audience wants and how to create that experience with the art and it's the combination that creates the experience so, so you have to understand the psychology of the audience if you want to create that magical experience and, and the Pixar Theory gives us a very clear window into how the audience thinks.
0: So is that why people love crime podcasts or puzzles? Because we're connecting, we're
1: trying to sure. connect. of course. I think uh, it's just how we—that's how we operate. That's just how we work. That's how our brains work. Right, and and so we're always trying to connect pieces, and 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 our brain, our brain does it for us sometimes subconsciously. Just how we are, we like we like these interesting connections, and it plays out in entertainment, uh, whether it's superhero stuff, whether it's what The Walking Dead uh, has been doing with crossing over all their shows, whether what you know what Hannah Barbera did way back in the day, whatever NBC does. Like crossover events has been a staple of modern entertainment for decades so this isn't a new thing it's always worked right it's working even more now in a, in a sort of a modern multi-platform transmedia market uh, but but this isn't sort of a, a new development it's always worked right so I think understanding as a filmmaker understanding the psychology of the audience and creating content that connects with other content it, it, it's going to it's going gonna, it's gonna, to again just increase your chances for your entertainment to really to really succeed in today's market.